Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. This is a very special episode. We're not talking about a book, and we're not talking about Dark Tower News, which we've been doing for a very long time. After years and years and years and years of waiting for a Dark Tower movie, hearing about a Dark Tower movie, hearing about all the problems of the Dark Tower movie, and despairing over the Dark Tower movie, we have now watched the Dark Tower movie. We thought this day would never come. My name is Randall Colburn. I am a host of this podcast. And to my straight ahead (laughs) is who? Michael Rothman, Editor-in-Chief of Consequence of Sound. How's everyone doing? Very good. And to my right, we have a guest loser. Uh, His name is also Dan, but it's not Dan Caffrey. His name is... Hi, Dan Flieger, longtime, first time. Uh, Also (laughs) senior staff writer with Consequence of Sound and big fan of the uh, all King heads. Yes. Uh, Dan is a very big Stephen King fan, and he was able to accompany us to the movie tonight. Uh, Justin also saw it, but he's at home cranking out the review that is going to run later tonight that you guys can also read. So, um, yes, we thought we'd bring in Dan to bring in his uh, expert opinion. He's read all the Dark Tower books. And fun fact, uh, Dan Flieger actually got me into the Dark Tower. Ah. Yeah. For uh, Christmas, he got me the Gunslinger back in uh, 2011. Those are some uh, those are some Stephen King bona fides right yeah, there. And yeah. Dan Caffrey actually got me into it for my birthday a little bit before that. So glad we were able to pay it forward. You know, cause <laughs> ca is a wheel. Ca is a wheel. Ca is a wheel. Um, and then we also have one other guest. Uh, it's you know somebody who actually worked on the movie. His name is uh, Akiva Goldsman. How you doing, Akiva? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm here to 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 fill your podcast with unnecessary action scenes and a fine gloss and take away any sense of spontaneity. Just kidding. That's not Akiva Goldsman. <laughs> you know, for a second, I thought it actually was Akiva. Even though you saw me doing the voice? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was actually a little bit like that, that movie. Um, was it a. Oh, Ghost. <laughs> you know, when like Whoopi Goldberg starts talking? No, no. Let's. 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 let's, let's Let me let's cut that whole bit. That oh, was... no. That was good. That was good. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Um, so we're not going to just throw out our feelings on the dark tower right at the beginning, because I I think that it's not, it's not a response. It's not a movie. I think that lends itself to just a knee jerk reaction. We're all big fans of the dark tower. We're all big fans of Stephen King. And I think what we really want to do is break it down, um, kind of, you know, category by category and sort of see where our conversation takes us in the end. We just watched the movie and we're still processing a lot of what we saw. So, um, yes, we're not going to rush into it, but before we get into the nitty gritty, we want to talk about the background of the movie a little bit. So, um, Mike, when do you first recall hearing about about the Dark Tower film? You know, I think it was about the late aughts, maybe, mm-hmm. um, when I actually 
uh, remember reading on Dark Horizons about how Ron Howard had picked up the rights from J.J. Um, Abrams. Mm-hmm. I actually had never known J.J. Um, Abrams had the rights. Wait, this originally. was like in 2009? Yeah, this wow. was late aughts. I and didn't even I know I remember uh, you know, hearing that he had picked up the rights, and I was... At the time, I didn't really have any bad, um, like, ill will. Uh, not that I have any right now, but uh, any negative thoughts about Ron Howard. At that point, I still thought he was a very solid director. Mm-hmm. I love Willow. Um, yeah. That's my first. <laughs> Come, on. Come on. I love Willow. I, love Willow. Hey, I, I am a huge Willow fan. So <laughs> I thought that, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't really, I didn't really know about The Dark Tower. I knew that it was a Stephen King um, franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it was a project by Stephen King that I had always seen on the bookshelves that I kind of always skipped just mm-hmm. because I thought it was just such a, a you'd have to have such a crazy endurance to get into this. Um, but I knew about it. I knew there was a big deal. I knew that f- they had a huge fan base. So I was like, wow, okay, that's interesting. Um, but I guess it went back even further because the, I, I believe, um, bad robot, the JJ yeah. Abrams had yeah. bid on it for like $19, $19 in Kingston. Ah. This is the right guy. And this, my movie. And, and, and that and, was and, heartening for me. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. And, and in hindsight, knowing what JJ Abrams has been able to do with King's properties, I mean, he did 11, 22, mm-hmm. and he's going to do castle rock for Hulu. Um, I really do think that he probably could have, you know, done a better job. We're getting ahead of ourselves there, <laughs> but to go to answer your question, it was around the late aughts that I had heard about it. And, it did start with Ron Howard for me um, mm-hmm. because I had, when he had announced that Javier Bardem and Russell Crowe, and I think it, even at one point Vigo Mortensen was supposed to be rumored yeah. uh, for it. Um, it, it. I was excited. I mean, it was, it was literally around the time of, of no country for old men. So I was like, Oh wow. I, I love Javier Bardem. Like this would be awesome. Yeah. Um, so I became interested, not enough to read the books, obviously, like I just said, uh, Fleeker got me into the books like a few years later, but, um, I know that, I mean, everyone knows that this has been a crazy project. It's been, you know, for like in development hell forever. I mean, it's kind of like the Chinese democracy (laughs) of, of movies. Uh, if you really want to, you know, if you know that, uh, that reference, then that'll make perfect sense for you. And, and then things got, things picked up steam a little bit. When was that? Maybe 2013, 2014, when Ron Howard started talking about, all these films in a TV series and this whole plan that he had for it. And we were all very, very excited about that. But, you know, then the things started dropping off the radar a little bit. And soon there was talk that maybe they would just do one movie or, you know, maybe there wouldn't be a TV series and all this other stuff. And we all kind of realized that things weren't really going like that was such a beautiful dream to have all of those things that it probably uh, wasn't a huge possibility. But Mike, was it that was it the possibility, this discussion of like all these movies and the TV series that led to us to create our Stephen King cinematic universe? I think it was. I think, honestly, when we started getting the idea, I think it was roughly around True Detective. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to, I was really deep into The Dark Tower at that point yeah. um, when I was reading it. And while watching McConaughey's performance as Russ Cole, I was like, oh, my God, he would be such a perfect uh, Randall Flagg slash Man in Black. I mm-hmm. mean, his, his sort of like existential tirades that he goes against with like Woody Harrelson or Michelle Monaghan. Um, I mean, he's great in it. He's absolutely great. And just his his whole thought um, process reminded me a lot of the conversation from the gunslinger when they're talking about like the seeds and of, of time and um or the sands of time and like breaking down the whole universe i was like oh my gosh i could totally see mcconaughey doing this and so we actually were kicking it around like this would be awesome and then 
the news started coming around that he actually was rumored for like the stand, I think at one point yeah, he was, and then he was kind of shopped around eventually uh, as obviously for the, the dark tower thing. But I think for us, it was, I think I had just been reading the series. I love, I mean, the producer's chair was a column that I had started like years and years ago. And I was like, this would be so much fun to just make this whole universe ourselves. And yeah, which we did. And we did. And, and we've and, posted it. We'll probably post it again soon because we love to share it with you guys. We yeah. we literally created, uh, using the Dark Tower as sort of the anchor, uh, the three of us in this room right now, as well as Dan and Justin. And was Mac on that project? No, Mac wasn't on the project because okay. I think he was just, he kind of read it around the same time I did. Yeah. Um, I finished it ahead of time, although he has read Went to the Keyhole. I haven't read that. Yes. I just needed a break after this. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so we created our own universe incorporating all the movies that sort of, you know, cross paths, um, cross beams with the, uh, with the Dark Tower. And it's an awesome feature. And it really, it was around that time that I think we really started amping up our anticipation for the Dark Tower movie, but soon it was revealed that Ron Howard wouldn't be directing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of rights issues. I remember th- it, the project going away and then coming back and going away and coming back. Yeah. And then, I, I remember being happy, and I think Ron Howard's a very talented director, but mm-hmm. he sort of lacks that edge mm-hmm. that you know I want to see in this. It essentially is like a horror fiction landscape, um, and I just wasn't sure if Ron had the uh, had the chops, had the stones, had the stones. <laughs> Well, I actually have uh, some interesting tidbits from uh, The Art of the Dark Tower. Uh, As you uh, constant listeners, if you follow us on our Instagram, you'll know that uh, I had a nice little journey into the city uh, myself, almost like a little little Jake Chambers, uh, wandering into... (laughs) The bookstore, the what was it the bookstore of the mind or um, yeah I, yeah um, run by Tom Castle. Wait, Tom, wasn't Tom? Uh, no, I don't think it was Tom Castle. I, something Castle. Something. But either way, um, we uh, I, I grabbed the book and there's a lot of uh, they, they actually have some pretty cool uh, information uh, about like the process of the film. I'm sure, they leave out a lot of tidbits because this is a uh, merchandise for the film. So, <laughs> um, but either way, uh, they they talk about how. Um, the this property was in the hands of like Imagine Entertainment um, and Brian, who's you know Brian Grazer uh, mm-hmm. who's done like Arrest Development Ron Howard's much, partner Ron, actually, Ron Howard's yeah. partner They've, it's been in their hands for a while and um, this is a, a section I'm going to read that's pretty telling about just how crazy it was um, so they uh, basically talk about how they had been working with King um, and they basically were going through a ton of scripts mm-hmm. for this. Um, and here it is. So Imagine Entertainment's Brian Grazer, executive producer, recalls the dead ends of the early phase towards getting the Dark Tower on the silver screen. We originally thought of it as a three-hour movie, he says. There were endless amounts of detail and characters, but it was thought of by the studios as being too, bit, too epic in the economics and too epic in the level of detail. Movie studios expressed interest, temporarily buoying the film's prospects before eventually moving on. We started at Universal with a very different movie, says Grazer. It was a malaise of details and mythology and an extended cast, but instead of concluding that they, meaning Universal, were right, we remained on the journey to make the movie. We took the very big version of Warner Brothers, but eventually got to a place where even they didn't quite get it. And I remember following all this stuff when it was going down. Like mm-hmm. I remember the headlines going, like it was jumping from studio to studio, yeah. and it was frustrating as hell. Goldsman remembers, our favorite Goldsman. Hollywood uh, hack. Holly, <laughs> Goldsman remembers the deep cut details of these overstuffed, passed over scripts. He says, there... <laughs> got to turn that page. Turn that huge, it's an awkwardly huge shaped book. Yeah, it is. This is interesting, though. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Goldsman. <laughs> he says, 
There was a big cybernetic bear in the first scene, and that was already knocking people back, he says. Jake entered it into a world already populated by Eddie and Susanna. Further down was the city of Ludd and the TikTok man. We started too hard and too fast, admits Grazer. We didn't know what form it should take. And then so they were like starting with the wasteland, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I felt so, they did take it too far, too fast. Yeah. But. Like, and that's really fast if they would have done that. Um, but they basically talk about how it went to like MRC who did it with Sony. And mm-hmm. although I know we found out on the variety article that actually caused some concerns because well, they, they had a lot of weird deals. Like basically MRC and King both had full veto power. If they didn't like something in the marketing or in the movie itself, they had a full power to say, nope, that's not happening. So there was, I think that's why we didn't see, uh, pretty much any marketing for a really long time. I think that they didn't know how to market this movie no. and both MRC and um, maybe even King himself, we don't know, were axing everything because we weren't hearing anything no. about this movie. And it was I think it was due to the deal that they had inked out. Well, it's unfortunate because if you recall last year, last summer, which was 2016, we were hearing information nonstop. I mean, mm-hmm. we were getting, we weren't getting like set reports per se, but we were at least getting photos from the sets. I think Entertainment Weekly did the photos of McConaughey and that really stuck with us. We were yeah. all circulating that online. Because remember that the, we were playing with, it was funny, we were sitting in the theater waiting for the movie and I was like, pull, I like looked at my phone. I was like, oh, the Sombra app, remember this? And, and, and if you took the app and you put it to the cover of Entertainment Weekly, it would show the rows. And I mean, I remember at the time being really excited. I was like, this is, they're doing this right. They they had the Charlie the Choo Choo book that was mm-hmm. uh, being sold at the Comic-Con at the time um, by like Beryl Evans. And they actually mm-hmm. had a fake author there. Yep. Um, and it was the same cover that they actually had from the books, like the art of the yeah. books from the original. Um, it's, it's so strange too, though, that the marketing sort of like dovetailed so early. Usually yeah. you kind of build, you know, you do little teasers, but I feel like the coolest parts of the marketing were actually occurring last year. Yeah. This is before the movie was even pushed from the uh, January release to the summer. Yeah, I, I think that well. I think that just points to the fact that a lot of the iconic imagery of the Dark Tower comes later in the series. It does. And adapting the first the introduction to this world is so hard. Well, that's the, and they talk about that in the book also. I'm just going to read yeah. one little uh, thing here. Um they talk about how they went to MRC and MRC basically saw it as a character centric path toward a more grounded self-contained film, which is what yeah. we got. Yeah, that's exactly um, what we got. So it says the new script drew upon the gunslinger's character dynamics, but it also needed to explain the saga's larger plot mechanics. One adjustment was foregrounding the plot element of the psychic children who are kidnapped and manipulated in the orders of the Crimson King. We felt that was a good movie idea because it put Jake in another kind of danger when kids in general were threatened, says Howard. Um, you could imagine him in his arrested uh, development <laughs> voice. It also con- <laughs> it also allowed us to better understand the crisis. If the tower came down, it would be a disaster for all of existence. Uh, that was my best impersonation of uh, Ron <laughs> Howard. Thank you very much. Uh, the new script was a leaner, tighter, and stronger introduction of the Dark Tower universe. After we reapplied ourselves to building the storytelling, it became much more accessible for people who were not already into it, says Goldman. Goldsman. 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 Um, Hollywood hack. So here's one the one last little section that I'll read it there, just because I think this does give it some, you know, some context of this whole situation. The movie wouldn't be a beat-by-beat adaptation of the novels, but that didn't mean it wasn't part of the Dark Tower canon. 
and this is something that we really loved um, when it was announced on Stephen King's socials last year. Um, a sudden inspiration gave the filmmaking team license to position their movie as a spiritual reincarnation. The idea was to give Roland the Horn of Eld, which he has at the end of the final book, explains Howard. The artifact, a holy relic of gunslinger lore, is acquired by Roland only at the conclusion of his quest in the novels. By giving Roland the Horn of Eld at the start of the movie, the filmmakers were subtly stating that this was Roland's replay, a fresh spin on the Wheel of Fate. And that does play into this movie, too, Mm -hmm. and we'll get to that. When we tested it on Stephen King and on Dark Tower fans, it got a big grin and a nod of satisfaction, says Howard. It says that this is another go around in the universe. It allows us to use the language and the characters, but it liberated us from a literal adaptation. Now, I yep. would say that's one of the strongest parts of this idea, this this type of adaptation. I'd say so, too. I think it's also, um, it's like, it's like we're allowing the filmmakers and the producers a little bit to play with fire, though. Yeah, it's a little bit too much agency. Well, that's the, yeah, exactly. I think that... Um, by allowing them that kind of creative freedom, uh, it really allowed them to mold the Dark Tower story into something that resembles the Hollywood blockbusters that we're getting nowadays. Mm-hmm. That is a necessity from a capitalistic consumer standpoint that we just have to accept that we weren't going to get um, from major studios in Hollywood in 2017 maybe the version of the dark tower that we really want, which is something that's, you know, probably has a really gritty feel to it that, uh, you know, doesn't follow the books exactly, but at the same time has, um, a deep respect for the pacing of the books and sort of the gradual introduction we get through the first book. Um, but if we filmed a literal adaptation of the first book, it wouldn't fit into the Hollywood. And that was one of my issues was, you know, the iconic is, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. And that was not how the movie started. No, no. it was a completely different scene with the breakers, which I understand bringing in the importance of what they're doing. But I think at the core, this is a story about Roland and his quest. And I think that was sort of a missed opportunity there. Yeah. yeah. And so that was a mild spoiler. Uh, and we'll let you know that we are going to be spoiling only the most basic things. Um, we're not going to ruin the movie or drop any huge plot points, but we are going to give you a sense of what you can expect from this movie. And the fact that it opens on the breakers, uh, which if you're familiar with Stephen King lore um, and dark tower lore aren't introduced for a long time. No, a long <laughs> so, time. It, it's, it's very, th- that's kind of the most disturbing element of it. Yeah. And um, so, um, so yeah, so basically I guess, uh, the director they ended up tapping was, uh, Nicolage Arcel, Nicolage Arcel, who, who directed a Royal affair, which was Oscar nominated. Yeah. Very so, impressive. Yeah. And he's a Danish director. Um, but at the same time, people will, at least, you know, I think some of us were wondering, can this guy, you know, uh, is, is a Royal affair, the guy who directed a Royal affair, the kind of guy that should be directing the dark tower. And, um, which the answer is yes and no. Yeah. The answer is yes and no. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, I think, uh, but yeah, so the, but then the thing was this variety article came out earlier. We reported on it. We posted on it. You guys commented on it, um, there and they, uh, detail that there was a lot of problems with the production that when producers, um, and studio executives saw the first cut of the film, they were literally embarrassed. Yeah. They were like, we hired the wrong guy. Um, and then apparently huge, um, 
you know, meetings in the edit room were being had. Lots of, uh, they brought that, I think they said they brought in Akiva again to sort of, you know, fix things. Yeah, I think he, did they say that he like spent hours yeah. in the editing bay? Yeah. Which... And so I think, but, you know, of course the studio executives and um, Arcel all deny it. Um, and I think we were concerned a lot by some of the marketing and some of the promotion. Um, Nicolaj Arcel's uh, Reddit AMA was um, cut short in a weird way. And it was also very vague. Yeah. He, uh, I think all of these Q and A's have been, vague. all the Q and A's have been vague. There hasn't been a lot of information and we, and it didn't feel like they were doing that for the sake of mystery for the, no. you know, preserving the mystery and, and the, um, the spookiness no, or whatever was, of the movie. It felt more like they were dancing around certain absolutely. questions. And I think the word that I used when I was at my most, um, annoyed with Arcel was this guy sounds like a shill. Like he's just, he's got a, you know, he's got, um, Sony's president's hand up his back you know <laughs> but to be, to be fair though like i can't tell you how many times i listened to idris answer how i was working how you know how how did he like working with, with Ma- Ma- Matthew Matthew McConaughey. and the story he had to tell about how he actually uh came to know the guy on the press tour which yeah. kind of says a lot about the you know the whole film yeah. making in general but you know it's it's very interesting i wonder if the crimson king had a hand in some of the production <laughs> problems yeah i yeah. this movie i will not let this movie happen oh my god well i mean is, i think it's i think it's telling based on that variety article i mean we talked about how the all our marketing that we they were doing all the viral marketing stopped around october i mm-hmm. mean last october they were supposed to premiere footage and a, tra- a trailer at EW's Pop Fest, and yep. it didn't happen, and yep. they canceled their thing probably because of the the situation you just detailed. Yeah, well, with the with the studio deals, there was they were probably like, "There's no way we're showing this." And yeah. the the um, they had done some screenings with audiences that apparently went horribly. Mm-hmm. People didn't understand the mythology, and so reshoots were done to help audiences understand. And I mean, we clearly saw where this happened, and the yes. scene didn't really work either. And we'll touch on it in a bit, but uh, basically, they wanted to see more of why Roland hated the man in black and so they we basically got a scene that was clearly a reshoot Mm -hmm. where um we see that uh walter had a hand in the demise of roland's father Mm -hmm. and so which you know isn't a huge surprise um but at the same time that was a scene that it really kind of thudded and it felt like a reshoot and um and i think the movie feels a little imbalanced because um there was clearly a lot of scrambling going on yeah you picked up on that completely because I mean, the reasons for the gunslinger to hate the man in black in the book, the source material is so good. And yeah. to kind of just abbreviate and have it, oh, he's responsible for the death of someone he loved when really he's responsible for so much more yeah. Yeah. suffering in general. And it did feel kind of like a reshoot, a little bit of a scramble just to, all right, here you go. Now you got his motivation. It's like, how do we get to point A to point B? Exactly. Right. A lot of this movie was that. It was, mm-hmm. it was um, Justin commented that, you know, and we'll get into the pacing, but it really felt like too much too soon. You know, it could have slowed down a little bit. It didn't have to keep delivering. Yeah. I, I called it like a marathon watch. Yeah. Yeah. It, and there's, cause there's so much exposition there's so much story and there's so much context, but the thing is not all of it is essential right away. Yeah. And, um, just like the first book, there's so much mystery in the first gunslinger book. There's so much we don't know. We don't even really know the nature of Jake. And so I think that for this movie to try to give us 
all of the background, usually through kind of awkward voiceovers, um, that really hurt the film, I think. Oh, God, the exposition's awful. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just the exposition. We, we, I think we uh, exposition Watson was one of our characters in a previous <laughs> book review or whatever. But this is just like exposition, exposition, exposition. Yeah. Cool, cool dialogue for a little bit. And then yeah. right back into over explaining some of the more stuff. And it's just, eh. Yeah, because, you know, in the first Gunslinger book, um, which, I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm not trying to like sort of idealize the first Gunslinger book because it actually isn't, you know, it's obviously everyone's, well, some people don't like uh, Song, Song of Susanna. Susanna. I love Song of Susanna. I like it too. But so. I think the first one's kind of like a prologue. It is. It yeah. Way. Yes. Well, I mean, I think it's telling when we were coming up with our own Stephen King universe, we actually combined, I think, the first book and the second book into yeah. one season. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, honestly, you could have done the Gunslinger book in like a two-hour, uh, maybe maybe three episodes. I would say give it three episodes. Yeah. You could probably do it because yeah. the stuff with Jake takes a while and everything. But yeah. honestly, like uh, it's, it, 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 I can see why they didn't want to do a direct adaptation. For the right. I and it. I like what you just said, Dan, about, uh, it's sort of a prologue to yeah. the series because what this movie felt like to me was not a prologue to the series, but a microcosm of the mm-hmm. series, you know, like it was, I think, and it was very much an introduction yes. to this world, uh, which I think was both a good move and also a tough one. And mm-hmm. so, on that note, before we kind of dissect anymore, we're just going to give you a sense of what the story actually is, what we're, what you're introduced to when you're watching this movie. These won't be spoilers unless, if you want to go in totally blind, then don't listen to this part, and you shouldn't be listening to this podcast because we're reviewing it. But uh, this is kind of where we begin. So we begin not with Roland but with Jake. Yeah. And um, we're in New York. We're meeting him, his family. We're getting a sense of who he is at school, who he is in life. He's a troubled kid. They want to send him away to... Um, a base, therapist. Uh, to, well, yeah, like a camp. Like, like a base, mental camp. Yeah, something. like a mental camp. <laughs> what if that means? <laughs> I know, it was weird. Yeah. And so, um, and so, but then Jake is uh, having these dreams. And he was having dreams in the books, too, right? Yeah. 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 And so he's having these dreams. He's drawing pictures of both the man in black and Roland mm-hmm. and of the parts break, of Midworld, parts of Midworld and the breaking station and the number 19 over and yeah. over and over. Yeah. So 19 was definitely represented and that was a very important uh, number to Jake in the movie. And so, um, but then it's basically about him uh, knowing that these visions mean something and through the visions and through the dreams we're introduced to the man in black and we're introduced to uh, Roland as well through flashbacks, but also through the sort of present day like situation with these guys. And we see um, like we get a glimpse of sort of the, the fight that kind of ended uh, uh, Gilead, you know? Yeah. So we get a glimpse at sort of, um, you know, Roland's life before the dark tower. And then um, basically I won't spoil too much here, but Jake finds his way over to Midworld and links up with the gunslinger. And along the way, um, I guess sort of the really big change here is that, you know, they talk about in the books, Jake having the touch. Mm-hmm. And um, that was what Elaine had as well. Of, you know, Roland's trio, Cuthbert yeah. and Elaine. They have the touch, which everybody's kind of interpreted is essentially the shine mm-hmm. from the shining. They kind of, uh, they went all in on that one. <laughs> yeah. They eliminated the wall between those and just called it the shine everyone calls it the shine you weren't yeah. gonna miss it in this film yeah. <laughs> you did not need to be shining 
I know. Pick up on it. I thought that Shelly Duvall was going to run out and you know and be like, "Where's yeah. Danny? I know. Where's Danny? Well, I know. I was waiting for Danny to make a cameo. Oh, that would have been great, especially like, that actor. He, yeah. I think he's like a teacher now. That would be yeah. awesome. Yeah, Danny, um, Danny Lloyd is a teacher. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, so yeah, like uh, that's where. But then, um, so the thing is. Because the Jake has that power, the man in black is after him. Yeah. Because so it's almost like a, a, it's a 180 from the book. Yes. Instead of them chasing the man in black, the man in black is actually chasing them. Yes. yes. And that kind of, I mean, it really flips the premise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was just a very kind of interesting. interesting take. And yeah. I'm not, a, a, well, mostly against that, but I was like still <laughs> in the movie. I was like, all right, I'll give this a chance because I know it's a lot to get on the screen all at once. Yeah. yeah. But they basically see Jake as the key to destroying the tower because he has the shine so much that he can do that. So that is sort of the real, um, uh, perversion that happens, you know, from the books, uh, it becomes Jake's quest and not Roland. Exactly. And Roland, I mean, it's, it's Roland's quest to kill Walter. Well, and they, they do call him Walter. He's not just the man in black to kill him and get to the tower to try to save the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, the and but it's ultimately Jake's journey in so many ways. Uh, Roland is essentially there to protect Jake, so that really is kind of the thrust of the story. And along the way, we, um, you know, we meet uh, sort of some of Flag's min. Uh, Flag, yeah. he's not he's not flagging it. Uh, Walter's minions. Um, he kind of has a little station at the breaking, uh, you know, he's area. Got, he's got the stations camp. everywhere. Yeah, he's got stations everywhere, and um. Remind me, Mike, were the portals in the books, were they as sci-fi-y? No, they weren't. Yes. That, I, and, I, and, and that is one thing that I don't like. Oh, one thing. <laughs> one, one of many things I, I, I don't really like stylistically is that it looks like something straight out of like Stargate SG-1. Yeah. Which it was unnecessary. Like yeah. One of the things I, I thought was so ominous, and I think is one of the most like infamous iconography, you know, like iconography of the, the entire series yeah. is the doors, yep. like just yes. have the regular door. I mean, it's, it's been, you know, yes, it's old school and, mm-hmm. and not as enticing as this weird sheared looking like, but you're right about it thing. being iconic. Yeah, yeah. It is an iconic yeah. looking. I mean, just but look it's at also, the- it's the, the effect of the door itself isn't what's supposed to be interesting. It's what's on the other side. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of this going back to the sort of Stargate visual, as you started seeing these, it, you know, the way that the breakers are gradually chipping away at things, I feel like this film gradually chipped away at me because there were just these little changes where you're like, I get why they did it stylistically, but they're losing the theme that were yeah. run throughout the books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to your point, Randall, about yeah. them having way too much agency. Yes. And so, so essentially, I guess to break it down simply, what we're getting in this movie is not necessarily a prologue, but rather an introduction to a world. It feels like a test almost because we get a full, complete three act story. There is resolution in it. Um, there is, uh, you know, relationships develop, but everything finds closure in yeah. the end of this book, which I know sounds a little weird because we're at the beginning of a franchise, but I think they were also preparing themselves for the fact that. This could very well just be this movie. Yeah, it could and have been a one and done. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And the thing is, the movie works as a one and done. It does. But it could, the thing is, the rules of the world are are fluid enough that this could very easily jump into a second movie. Well, what I like about the ending mm-hmm. is that it does start shifting over to Roland's point of view yes. and Roland's quest. Yes. And then it becomes 
I mean, it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of genius in a weird way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I use that very lightly, <laughs> that word, because I don't want to be marred as the guy that called the Dark Tower genius. Uh, but you will be on the DVD box. Yeah, right. Just genius, genius. with an exclamation point. And then like me, like, <laughs> um, but handing a diva a giant check. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> My God, him giving me a hug or something like that, like a big birthday cake or something. Um, but I, no, but if you, if you think about it, if, you know, obviously one of the biggest concerns that, that everyone had when the trailer dropped is that it looked like a young adult adaptation mm-hmm. and it does. It does. And it's definitely trying to be that. Mm-hmm. I mean, by, by having it be Jake's point of view, it definitely tries to connect with the kids, which is kind of what this, this needs in a sense, if this yeah. is going to be some successful franchise. Absolutely. Um, I, I get that. Um, it does take away the adult tones mm-hmm. of the book, which what we were discussing on the cab ride back is that that could be the second one. Yep. And if you want to go to a stylistic jump and make it something that's going to be about Roland, it's you know a little bit more of a meditative uh, experience mm-hmm. and you actually get into his head a little bit. There's a lot of places you can go yeah. with this. Um, I, th- I really feel like they were trying with this film to make it an entry point. Yes, and it and did. So, it is an entry yeah, point. Yeah, so there is a lot of things about it that feel very familiar in the vein of Hollywood blockbusters, Hollywood storytelling. Um, it's not always very uh, faithful to the book. I'll, you know, the Tahin, I think, are are represented in ways that feel kind of orcish. Yeah. It's way too like, I mean, I get it that like, you know, King was basically aping Lord of the Rings for this, but let's not go too far. They pushed it a little far too far. And, um, I think that the man in black is, doesn't he talk about him? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about him a little bit. The sections a little bit. Yeah. I will. I think that, um, I think that, Let's not talk about McConaughey's performance right now because we'll get there. Yeah. Let's just talk about the character because I feel like if there's one aspect of the movie that really didn't feel fully fleshed out, it was who is the man in black? Who is Walter? Why does he want to destroy the tower? And what really um, like and, and oh, you go, Mike. Are you talking about some zeros and villains? I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. Let's talk about the man in black as he's represented in the film. Um, he, he wears black. He's very <laughs> handsome because he's Matthew McConaughey and he's a wisecracker. Yeah. And he's a bad boy. And our friend Clint described him as a administrator. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Well, who is he really? Why don't you, Dan, why don't you give a little rundown about Sure, uh, sure. It's one of my book. all-time favorite characters, actually. Yeah. Um, well, he's not allowed to be called Randall Flagg in this, but he's yes. Randall Flagg. Yes. Yeah. Walter Dim, Randall Flagg, the walking dude, he's gone by many names, and he doesn't really understand why. In the larger Stephen King universe, he's sort of a being of pure evil. Mm-hmm. Um, not the devil, per se, but a contemporary who doesn't even really know what his motives are other than destruction. Um, yeah, Jamie Sheridan was my first introduction from the miniseries. Yeah. Yes. And I love that. The, yeah, we you know, all the love combination him. of the, the sinister with the humor, you know, it's like the Joker, yeah. but taken to a much more extreme degree, I guess. Yeah. So I think one of the tough things about this movie is, you know, they don't know that he's sort of primed for destruction. Yeah. So why does he want to destroy the tower? And that's a really hard question, at least for me, why does he want to destroy it in the world of this film? And why are all these people helping him do it if it's going to bring darkness and destruction to all these worlds? Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> I guess the, the his 
impetus is very hard to kind of describe mm-hmm. in this movie and even in the books. I mean, yeah. he, he spends multiple books discussing why, you know, what drives him. Yeah. I mean, why does he want all the, why does he want darkness unleashed? I mean, once it's done, it's kind of done. Yeah. You're just going to float around and be an asshole the whole time. I, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's in a, in a way it is, it does just kind of boil it down to like, good. Evil, yeah, yeah. Well, and I, yeah. he's based on the sympathy for the devil version, yeah, of Rolling Stones, where it's they're listing all these you know infamous acts and historical acts, and this guy has just always sort of had a hand in it, yeah. Whether it's good or bad, even some of the events in the book are good, but he was there somehow, so yeah. you know that there's it's he, tainted some way. Because in the stand, they talk about how he was on both sides mm-hmm. uh, of uh, of like I think even like the peace movement just to make the chaos happen, yeah. yeah he was in the Soviet Revolution. He was yeah. there with the hippies. He was yeah. there when Kennedy died. You know. Yeah. Pleased to meet you. And it's really hard, I think, to convey a character like that. Yeah. Uh, He's not a traditional villain, and they really try in this movie to sort of work him into the mold of a traditional villain. Yeah, which is not good. Right. And that's what's hard, I think, about the character. And, like, I think maybe the moment we all kind of groaned at was when um, there is a scene when uh, Jake's mom and Jake's stepdad encounter the man in black in their apartment, and he's cooking, and makes kind of a little wisecrack, like, ah, oh, sorry, I made myself at home here. He's like, he, I think his line is like, they don't have chicken in my world. Yeah. It's like, okay. Then he doesn't finish the chicken. I yeah. know. It's, it's very annoying. If you're doing it just for the joke, or do you really enjoy yeah. chicken? And So, yeah, it's like, and I think that's kind of points to the problem with the character is they maybe didn't, he's not taken seriously enough in a lot of ways. Well, we, we talk a lot, um, just amongst ourselves about, you know, directors that know how to get the best out of their actors. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think one of the more recent examples when we talked about Dana Ashbrook with Twin Peaks and yes. how like David Lynch brings out the best in him is Bobby Briggs. And I think that's the way with McConaughey. I mean, he's got a, sh- a lot of really shitty movies yeah. on his resume and we know he's a good actor. I mean, he won, I mean, he had his reconnaissance like yeah. over the, I mean, that's probably why he got this, you know, these roles. I mean, because you were like, wow, he's, he's got some range. But you really need to have a good, you know, script, and you need to have a really good director to pull mm-hmm. it out of him. Otherwise, he's going to just kind of. And you need a character it. that makes sense on the page for yes. him. He openly says he's not read the books. Yeah, he's probably not read the stand. He probably doesn't even know that Walter is Randall Flagg. I know. So he doesn't. I think if you just look at this character on the page, there's really nothing there's to nothing, grasp onto. No. So he's kind of just playing evil. It's very black and white. Yeah. And even you know mentioned True Detective earlier too, and I felt more scared from Russ Cole. Yes. Who's a good guy than I really did from Flag in this oh, movie, totally. or Walter, mm-hmm. I should say. Yeah. It just, he was going through sort of the villain tropes, you know, he's got a little bit of a sarcastic edge to everything he delivers, but he didn't take it to that next level where McConaughey can go with films like Mud, yep. uh, you know, during the McConaissance. Yeah. yeah. That's a great Killer term, Joe. Yeah. Have you seen Killer Joe? I love it. He's so scary in he's, that movie. I mean, he's, he's exceptional in these yeah. films. It's like, but that, and all those movies were really directed by pretty great people. Yeah. And it's like, and not to say, you know, Nicolaj Arcel is not a great director, but because I'll say this, um, as we transition great performance out of Idris Elba. Yes. And um, so I think we'll, I mean, but we'll finish with McConaughey and just say, the man's a great actor and he he oozes charisma, but there is really not much to grasp onto with no. this character because the nature of his evil and the nature of his, um, you know, his vengeance that he wants towards Roland, whatever, whatever's driving him is very unclear. No. And it's, and it's, which, you know, granted the Stan miniseries had a lot more time to play around with. Right. Jamie Sheridan some legs, you know, like some leg space, but 
man, Sheridan blows blows McConaughey out of the water yeah. with this because, and I was thinking about that the entire time. It was just that I know that McConaughey is trying to do those sort of that those sort of mannerisms because I'm sh- pretty sure Akiva Goldsman wrote the script in that in that kind of tone. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is that sort of like kind of saucy sort of <laughs> way to be the villain, which now at this point is it's so swagger. like cliche. It's a, a very much a cliche. And I, yeah. you know, we mentioned the Joker earlier. I yeah. think I did. I've always thought these two characters were kind of the same. Yes. Where yeah. if you get the right actor, the right voice, the right just inflections, you can really make this a scary character. And while he was evil in the movie, you know, he kind of came in. I'm not gonna say mailed it in, but I didn't. I wasn't afraid during no. his scenes, no. and even in the miniseries version, you know, there's these little tidbits he does where he just kind of infects people with hate. Yeah, and you're like, this guy is so evil. Yeah, I just didn't get that from this. Film. I mean, by comparison, when Jamie Sheridan approaches Miguel Ferrer in like the first or second episode of the Stan miniseries, and that scene, that little five minute, four yeah. minute scene or whatever is so much more effective than anything that they have in the man in black in this movie, yeah. um, which is unfortunate because I, I think McConaughey was actually the, the most like, Oh yeah, no, this is great casting. Go for it. That was who We're, we wanted. No, nobody was in really, that role. Could have been yeah. really great. And I still think he could have been great. And I, and you know, and we have a lot of discussion like where it could go for, you know, in the sequel. Yeah. But stay tuned for lots of talk about, about whether or not there will be, we think there should be sequels yeah. and what should happen in those sequels. Yeah. We have lots of thoughts about that. But yeah, so let's let's pivot though to a performance that we loved, yeah. which was which was quote unquote polarizing amongst everybody. Was yeah, this casting decision, which is bizarre, which is ridiculous. But Idris Elba's Roland, I thought, was fantastic. Well, Carry the give movie. Context of who Roland is. Just yeah, for, uh, do it. Oh, okay. yeah, go for you it. You do it. Yeah, you got this down, buddy. <laughs> not forgotten the face of my father. <laughs> you have not. Um, so Roland Deschain descends from the line of Arthur the Eld. It ties way back to the mythologies of heroes from our world and from medieval times. And he's essentially, uh, think of him as a Skywalker meets a good, the bad, and the ugly type yeah. cowboy in a spaghetti western. He kind of roams the world doing good, but he's troubled, and he doesn't really let anyone into his world. And I thought the casting was great. Yeah. yeah. It, it's The Javier Bardem, that was one of my favorites, just because of his accent, his yeah. mannerisms. But once Idris got it, I thought it, it was perfect. Yeah. yeah. And I think even you don't really get to know Roland a lot in the no. books and it takes a while for him to open up. So I thought the minimalism that Idris brought just that tough exterior kind of man, a few words. I thought that was perfect, especially for starting the series. Absolutely. And uh, how hard is it to, in one movie that may be a standalone movie to create a character that is notoriously guarded mm-hmm. and will not let anyone in. And the thing that's great is that he never really lets Jake in in this movie. He does, you know, he's friendly and there are moments of mentorship that surface, but we still don't get a lot of who Roland is emotionally, but I think that's done in a really effective way. And at the same time, they do a great job of humanizing Idris through I the the humor in this movie yes. it takes a while to show up yeah but when it does it's extremely effective yeah. and I think that that is a hundred percent on Idris's performance I think other actors the lines that we laughed at in the movie could have fallen you know been like a lead balloon oh, totally. but I think Idris was so strong and so precise in his delivery and embodied the character so well that uh, those lines were so funny it reminded me a lot of the best scenes between John Connor in the T-800 in mm. Terminator 2, uh, specifically when they're like hanging out at the gas station yeah. and, and they're like working on the car and John is just kind of getting the humanity out of the T-800. 
Um, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger, by the way. Um, <laughs> he stares out the but, window all night of the hotel. And he, I love. I, I got. He's I love better that. than a real father. Yeah. He, I mean, I. <laughs> it, it just reminded me of that because there, you see Jake pulling out the best out of Roland, and like that was a very, like real sort of relationship. And mm-hmm. there's a lot. I mean, the movie move like moves at such a fast pace that you don't really have a lot of those relationships and connections, but. Man, like I, I really believed in like Idris's performance here, and I, I he's what carried the movie for me, yeah. and he's what makes me want to actually see and make this have this actually be a success because I want to see him as the gunslinger. Mm-hmm. Like I really do. And it, it could have easily been just the fish out of water, and the trailers kind of make it look like that when he asks, mm-hmm. "Do you have guns in your sound?" <laughs> <laughs> You're going to like Earth. You're going to like Earth. Um, which uh, is actually, without being edited, was much better. It was much film, better. But yeah. it, it is very easy. Uh, you're going to like Earth. Uh, <laughs> check, please. <laughs> but um, thank you, Cy. Um, but no, but it's, it really was, I think, that minimalism. He held back. So there was just enough, you know, you could tell he was a fish out of water, but it wasn't getting thrown in your face. And they didn't dwell on it. Although the movie had a very short runtime, so I'm happy they didn't choose to dwell <laughs> yeah. much on well, that. To, to be fair, the character of Roland was always going to thrive in an 88 to 95 minute movie. Yeah. Because the less we know about Roland, like you're saying, is the better. Because he's kind of like, that. it just yeah. adds more mystery. Yeah, but that's but not like, that's not traditional Hollywood filmmaking these no, days. No, it's not. It's yeah. not. So, but, but so the thing I wasn't is, expecting that. I wasn't expecting it either. I just think like... The, it's it's I mean I mean I've talked about this in the podcast before I'm a huge fan of like things coming out of chaos mm-hmm. and I think Idris brings a shitload of talent to this film but I think I don't I, you know I don't want to give too much credit to the screenplay because right. we're going to get to that in a second yeah so and I, I don't want to say he, he definitely elevates over the screenplay yeah. but I will say that the chaos helps his performance mm-hmm. because he he brings so much like earnesty to this performance. He's so grounded. He's so grounded. Yeah. And he's the, he's really like him and, and we're going to talk about Tom um, Taylor in a second. Like him and Jake are really like the <laughs> things you hold on to in yeah. this entire movie. Yeah. It's like, it's like you're being like, it's like the ending of evil dead too. Right. When, when Ash is just pummeled through like the, the wormhole and you're just like, he's like holding on to like that wooden board. That's, I feel like <laughs> Idris and, 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 uh, and Tom uh, were that, board. were that board. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, everything's so rapid fire. Yes. You don't really get enough chance to understand completely what's happening yeah and even you know having read the books there were definitely scenes where we're kind of like okay i think they're <laughs> kind of alluding that but it's on and off the screen so yeah. quick that you can't really make an emotional connection yeah but with idris i almost felt like he was this he really grounded as much as this could be grounded you know and you just felt here's the strong guy i don't really know what's going on and i think that's a classic cowboy trope right mm-hmm. yeah we can all oh, kind totally. of fall into that and identify it. this guy has something bad that happened to him yeah and he's not going to let anyone in and we still don't know what that is. Well, like what I love is that we actually get a, a moment in the movie where Flag acknowledges your old gang, your mother, yes. your father. Like, and so I think like we really perked up at just the idea. We know who the old gang yeah. is. It's Cuthbert. It's Elaine. It's um, who's it's the Eddie other? and Susanna? I mean, it's it, Eddie. Well, it, it really could be though. Well, I mean, I mean, considering this is a quote unquote sequel, and he may know that. Like, like I don't know if Flag yeah. knows about the previous journey. You know? Yeah, and, I assumed you could make that inference. But that's I think that's either way. We know the the crew that yeah. they're talking about. Yeah. Who is the other one though? Jamie his court his teacher who court who we killed with David. You love court. Who is? Oh, you didn't read Win Through the Keyhole. I did. You did, but did uh? Who's the Who's the guy that's with him in Win Through the Keyhole? It's Jamie something. Who's like he's like really serious. I can't remember. Well, it's Elaine. 
Well, there's Elaine and Cuthbert who are in Wizard and Glass. Wizard and, Glass. and then there's another one who joins him on one of the two short stories in Went Through the Keyhole. Wow. And I can't remember who it is. But he, the, he's I'm sure our constant listeners are like screaming. I know. They're all screaming the it at the podcast yeah. right now. He's in the – he's mentioned in the other books. Mm. But he – um, it's Jamie DeCurry, I think. Oh, okay. Does that sound right? think so yeah he's I, more serious right? he's like super serious yeah but um anyways Cuthbert. <laughs> Cuthbert, Cuthbert? You goof, your goofball um <laughs> but no and i i we were making jokes i think we were so nervous about well not nervous but just like we were you know expecting roughness going into this and we were kind of joking about the the live q a's that each elbow was doing and we were worried that he was really going to phone it in himself and just kind of be like yeah i love playing uh ronald deshane you know <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I, I think based on how he's been with the fans, knowing that this is pretty much a train wreck, um, you know, in terms of the PR yeah. the behind the scenes and just how he is on screen, like he really does like that like yeah. character and, yeah. and it shows. And it does. I He deserves a sequel for it. I know. Um, I hope he gets just it. Just for him alone. And, and, and to transition to Tom. And to transition to Tom Taylor. Tom Taylor is great. Really, now, really good. No, like I can't stand like kids on screen that are like kind of like smarmy or precocious or whatever. I thought he was a real kid. Yeah. I thought he, he reminded me of my brother when he was younger. Like he really did like the way he reacted towards his parents and Mm -hmm. like the mistrust that he has with the tahin like roaming around. And I, I, I I totally bought it. I thought he was great. I thought he was absolutely great. Yeah, and like the way he sold uh, grief, like yeah. the moments in the film where he had to sell grief, I yeah. thought he really went there. Totally, and um, I think he's a he's a really talented kid. And yeah, the the there was no precociousness no. there because I I usually fucking hate child actors. Yeah. Like they try to make them really witty yeah, and the only, cute yeah. all the time. And yeah. don't, I, I don't personally like hearing children sing or cry. <laughs> um, and it just I don't know why it just doesn't. It's a, uncomfortable. And I yeah. thought even the scenes where he does break down sort of emotionally, it was handled in a. Very good way. It Very good. Way. It, I believed it. It was good. They moved on. There was no singing. Thank no, God. he I brought a lot of nuance to his performance. Yeah, which he was really surprising did. to me. I mean, like even when he's kind of like just roaming around the desert alone, mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting to see just how much he was able to bring just as a physical performance itself. Yeah. So, what was he in previously? Do you I don't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. I, 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 mean, I actually remember writing the news article for it, and there's some, definitely some credits that he has on there. But he's got some agility, too. Like, when he's uh, running around, he's kind of got a little Spider-Man. Hey, there's a, there's a feature for this kid. Hey, yeah. Spider-Man remake coming up. Yeah, maybe um, with uh, yeah, Hey, think, it's Sony. Yeah, you never know. I think if you compare him to the other child actor, his neighbor, who yeah. was his age but somehow had transported from 1920s Brooklyn <laughs> Tough <laughs> with one of the thickest New York accents I've ever heard. Hey, yeah. Jake. Hey, what Jake, you doing? What you doing there? Hey, what you doing? He looked like he walked out of like a Bronx tale or something hey, like, like that. Hey Jake, that's the cat's meow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to go see uh, Babe Ruth down the street? Uh, I thought he was like one of the kids from sleepers. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Maybe, oh, well, they do kids. have hot dogs at the end. Oh, so yeah. They could have, they could have pushed the cart down and Spoiler killed someone. But I was just waiting um, for him to do the Andrew Dice Clay cigarette behind <laughs> his head. I was waiting for, uh, for Robert De Niro to get off a bus and be like, Hey, I told you not to hang out with them. I told you not to hang out with them. Get in there. Get in there. <laughs> now you just can't leave. So let's talk about some of the minor characters. Uh, uh, I know um, we had, uh, we had a couple Jackie f- Earl Haley. Uh, Jack- Jackie Earl Haley played Haley. a character named Sarah, Sarah, who's in the book. He is in the book. He delivers um, Susanna's baby. Mm-hmm. I feel like spoiler alert. Um, that's like what I I just read when I revisited because I don't remember him in the books. Let's just say that he's in the movie for um, as lo- as much as you see him in uh, Watchmen. Uh, yeah, that's probably a good. Face. Yeah, um, he plays a thug, and uh, yeah. and then another one of. Um, uh, 
you know, kind of the breaker thugs, uh, Pimley, yeah. uh, who is mentioned. Fran Kranz. Is, is Fran Kranz from Cabin in the Woods. He yeah. played the stoner. Oh, he yeah, gets, he did. He gets, I think, two lines in this movie. Yeah, he's not um, He doesn't get to do much. He plays sort of the doofy uh, uh, evil person. Now, hey, maybe it's because I love 24. Yeah. And I love Major League. And I love all those commercials that he does for, I think it's progressive. Um, but... Dennis Haybert. Hay- I like oh, watching. Dennis Haysbert. Yeah, I liked Dennis Haysbert in this. He's he in literally for, did nothing. <laughs> he did not. He did not do much. But the 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 sort of images that they use with him were effective to me. Yeah. Well, the uh, images. The flashbacks. He's perfect casting for Rollins. Absolutely. He played Rollins' dad. We're not surprising you here. We no, put that Stephen in Duchesne, our. We put that in our uh, uh, five things to I learn mean, from the Dark Tower trailer yeah. article. <laughs> he's he's in the trailer. Um, a lot of it's a lot of the stuff in this movie is in the trailer. And that's yeah. a Problem, but. I thought Dennis Haysbert was great. He's probably going to be in, if they do sequels, I hope he so. will be in more. Yeah. Um, so actually out of all the supporting cast, I would say he was the best. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, he, <laughs> he really has such little screen time, but it was great. I, I yeah. hope that on, you know, some of the sequels that he gets a little more of focus on his backstory. Cause yeah. it's very interesting. His backstory is fascinating. They also had, uh, uh, Magala, uh, Abby Lee Kershaw, who was from The Neon Demon and Mad Max Fury Road. Wait, who did she play? She played Tirana. Who's Tirana? She was the one that, um, oh, the man the, in black's like you, assistant. Oh, the other girl. And he's like, Ooh, I like your face. Or, yeah, that was you know, dumb. Was, she didn't do anything. She didn't do anything. Um, she kind of reminded me the look of her in this was like very like Elsa from Indiana Jones, the last crusade. Yes. Like, Give me your hand. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I mean, there's, there aren't that many other supporting cast. No, it was like Lod or whatever his name was. The, the stepfather. Oh yeah. The guy who played the stepdad. Um, he, but he's kind of an asshole in the books too. Yeah. Well, he's like classic asshole. Yeah. He's like classic asshole stepfather. And yeah, I know that trope is great. And then, um, and the guy who played him just, he was great at playing an asshole stepfather. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think there's that many other, uh, well, there was Jake's mom, um, who was kind of forgettable, but played by a woman who was probably 24. (laughs) Yeah. She, she was, she was really, really young uh, it's uh Catherine winnick very good uh, yeah. yeah but it really was just these three core characters of yeah it really jake did. walter yeah. and roland and yeah I, I was trying to remember the names of the other actors and characters mm-hmm. here. you really don't have to no. they're just sort of very much secondary and propelling you know which is good because guess what if they make a sequel we got uh at least uh two more characters to yeah add to this, i mean uh, i think content. that i think that when you're dealing with a story that is really complicated like this it's good like because the thing is when i watch marvel movies i get exhausted because they introduce so many characters i kind of like that they and that's kind of what Arcel said you know when people asked him why the movie was only 88 minutes or whatever and he said you know we didn't want to complicate it too much and we're going to talk about the running time um uh, actually, we can probably talk about that now. Yeah, let's go into direction. Yeah, let's pick it into... We're going to talk about the direction of this film. I think it's time to sit in the director's chair. The director's chair. Yeah. That's a good That's a good phrase yeah. for it. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your your next month. 
That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Action. Well, we got Nikolaj Arcel, yes. as we mentioned before. Um, here's the thing. He directed A Royal Affair. By all accounts, great film. Very good. It's not an action movie. No. <laughs> and I think when we watched this movie, uh, I think both of us were turning to each other and you're just like, eh, I don't know if he knows how to do these action movies. Uh, yeah. Action scenes. Like, all the action scenes in this film, with the exception of like the final battle and maybe like one other thing, are just miserable. I mean, yeah, they're not it, great. It's just, you, it's unfocused. Um, chaotic. Un- in ways chaotic. that aren't. That aren't like, you know, you watch like a movie like John Wick and that movie is pure chaos, Mm -hmm. but it's filmed in such a way that you never really feel disoriented. It's very operatic. It's very operatic. And uh, I think in this movie, it's a lot of clanging and clashing, Mm -hmm. you know, but but without the horror edge. Right. One thing for me that, you know, the reason I like Stephen King is because I'm a horror head. It takes a cow- <laughs> it takes a cowboy story, makes it psychedelic, and adds demons. Yeah, I'm in. yeah. And I I kept waiting for this movie to get scary. And it's not just the PG thirteen rating because there's a lot of PG thirteen movies that would creep you out or have Absolutely. a certain scene. Uh, I believe really Jaws is PG. Yeah, it's before the rating system. Yeah, yeah. I know. And it, it's interesting. <laughs> Um, but no, you know what I mean though. It's it yeah. never there was never a part where the horror got so scary. Yeah, it, it wasn't necessarily campy. It just wasn't there. No, it's because there was no sense of place. Right, and and in in a sense, in a sense there was. I mean, I'll, I'll go through the pro- pros for me. Yeah, the pros were he used a lot of phys- physical effects in some certain scenes, which were good. Yeah, um, that's great. there wasn't it wasn't overly there wasn't too much CGI. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. were some that there you're was just definitely like, good some. God. Yeah, um, and it's mostly in all the action sequences. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get. There. But anyway, I I thought the the there were a lot of. The, the the dramatic scenes were great mm-hmm. um, when they were between like Roland and and um, and Jake. Those scenes are great. Um, so obviously he's leaning on his strong suits there. Mm-hmm. Um, the sweeping shots of Midworld where they shot in South Africa, beautiful, were just great. I mean th- those first shots of Jake roaming around Midworld alone. And th- that actually was a sandstorm. Um, that was the first day of shooting for Jake oh, was wow. in a sandstorm. And he was like, what the hell did I get myself into? That's what they talk about in the Art, the Art of the Dark Tower book, which is available now at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, uh, I, I thought those shots, the sweeping shots were great. The The sense of location for Midworld was awesome. Um, I thought even some of the, the shots across New York were not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem was is that... Yeah, like we said, he, he just has no real idea on how to capture the tone for horror, and he doesn't know how to shoot action scenes. And that's right. a major problem when right. you're dealing with a fucking franchise that is that spans multiple genres. I mean, it's a it's a western, it's a horror, it's a sci-fi, it's a uh, it's it's, a, it's an it's action a old movie. romance, it's an action movie. Yeah. I mean, it's everything. You need to get a director that can handle that sort of range of things, which is why. To be fair, Ron Howard probably would have been a better choice for this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm gonna go back to my to to my man's movie Willow. He, <laughs> he knows how to do the comedy in that. There's some horror in Willow. There is uh, that pig transformation scene is fucking terrifying. Pigs, all of you, pigs, pigs. pigs. <laughs> and then you see like Val Kilmer is like, no, mother, no, pig, pig. I, Howard should have done this movie. And and it's not like he's doing much. Of, oh, wait. No, he is actually doing something. He's doing the Han Solo movie right now. But he doesn't have the stones, though. No. no but with Nikolaj. But not that Nikolaj does that. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you break this down, I feel like this is the movie that they should have used to then cast him as the Dark Tower director because it was a $60 million budget. Yeah. He did everything within that budget well enough. 
but I don't think this was at the level of the Dark Tower that we were expecting, you know? This is no. the film that would then launch you to get your own Marvel movie or whatever, yeah. which would then be directed by committee. Yeah. I, I just don't think he brought a lot of that core and a lot of those scares from the novel that we were all hoping for. Well, I, I kept thinking about, you know, Randall, you're talking about this being like a franchise starter. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go back to all the major franchises, and to your point, Dan, they needed to have like a really, like, established notorious director to create a tone yeah because if you go back to like harry potter they had chris columbus yeah. and say what you will about those first two movies and we talked about this the other night they do feel like kid movies but the aesthetic is genius yeah because chris columbus knows how to create that aesthetic you go and watch like home alone and he knows how to create a sense of place and a sense of like feeling for the holidays and 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 harry potter takes all of that and wraps mm-hmm. it up into one little gorgeous like you know bubble but you don't get that here and you needed that you needed someone to create that 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 tone to set that tone that's why they you know that's why talking about disney and marvel that's why like they had john favreau do like iron man because he knew how to do comedies like boom there it was that's why that they had jj abrams start off the force awakens because he knows how to like get that kind of spielberg um aesthetic and recall to that and they needed to have star wars star Star trek too and star trek yeah i mean he was he's great at that you needed to have a visionary director kick this off so that you could have created that tone that Somebody could anybody could really model. And who wouldn't of. be afraid to go against? I mean, we mentioned how many cooks were in the kitchen. There's oh, so God. many veto powers. You, you need someone with that spine, but also a reputation that's like, look, I hear what you're saying, Stephen yeah. King, but trust me on this. Yeah, you and, know, and I'm going to take it this direction. Even looking at the TV model, there's a reason why you know you have David Fincher directing the first episode of House of Cards, yeah. or you have like Vince Gilligan doing the first episode of Breaking or um, Better Call Saul yep. after he finished, uh, you know, Breaking Bad. And Fincher would have been like, I'm, the more I hear that now, I'm like, that would have been crazy. Well, I don't know right. if that would have been <laughs> practical, but we would have left a lot more. Scared yeah. and disturbed, he had you know any part in this film. I mean, my choice would have been George Miller, but yeah, that would have been uh, amazing. But I mean, even but Howard would have been great, and I don't know why he he couldn't have done this. And then Arcel could have taken over from there or whatever. But yeah, there's no there's no there's no foundation for actual any tone, which is a problem. I'll say the, I'll say this: you're 100 percent right about the tone is not established. The movie can at times feel bland. Yes, it doesn't have a lot of spark, mm-hmm. but that's. Part and parcel of Akiva Goldsman's entire fucking uh, aesthetic. But um, moving on. No, not moving on. I want to say, even though the tone um, isn't really established, I will say that this movie, which is I think that they were really concerned about this because the early test screenings, people were so confused. Yes. I actually think that this movie did a decent job, even though there was too many exposition dumps and they could have cut some, Mm -hmm. at establishing the characters and the mythology. Oh, I agree. And this world. I agree with that. Yeah. And so I think that, and that I think was hard Mm -hmm. in this, when you're dealing with this kind of series that it encompasses genres and, um, encompasses, you know, it has a really bizarre, weird, never seen before mythology. And that's part of why it was so hard to market, you know, in the same time is because what is this thing for people who haven't read the books? Like, man, if I didn't read the books, I don't think I would have been into seeing this. And I think that's like the hardest thing. And I can see why they started making trailers being like, Oh no, it's connected to that other movie that you're really excited about. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, but I mean, but so I'll, I'll give our I'll, I'll give ourselves credit for that. Although I bet that you know those those three hour meetings in the edit room or whatever probably helped clarify some of those things. I I, I will say that Arcel, I think he would have been better off if this was a straight adaptation of the Gunslinger. Yeah, because it yeah. would have been a, it wouldn't have been as action packed. Yeah, yeah, it would have been patient. He would have been able to have some more time, kind of thrive on where his obviously his strengths were, which 
we're in Midworld, you know, the scenes between Roland and Jake, like, you know, we had discussed before, I think that would have been great. He would have been strong there. But mm-hmm. when you're dealing with, they're trying to create Marvel type action, that's, you're not going to be able to do that when yeah. you have somebody that has never filmed those type of scenes before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's straight up a monster attack in the film without giving anything <laughs> away, but which really doesn't serve any other purpose than just showing, hey, there's monsters in the Yeah, world. yeah. It just kind of hops out. It's CGI. You it don't feel like any a, stakes. There's no stakes. You know they're not going to kill the characters off this early in the film. And I, yeah, it, it would have been, that scene, that monster attack would have been so much more impactful had it come an hour after yeah. following this lone gunslinger. Yeah. Instead, it just felt like, they were going through the motions with that. I mean, yep. the, the whole Dutch house sequence, I mean, I think Justin had, was that was one of his big gripes walking out. It's like, it just kind of goes like snap, crackle, and pop, boom. It, yeah. You know? And I mean, I think there's two action sequences in the movie that are lit so poorly oh God. that they're clearly compensating for something. They're trying yeah. to mask. Lack of budget for yeah. the CGI. You can't, you they, can't see was, anything. It really felt like it was a malfunction with the projector at one point. I was yeah. like, how is this so dark? I can't mm-hmm. even tell what's going on. I mean, just on. I kept like thinking about, because I, I always edit photos on PicMonkey. On, uh, PicMonkey.com. You could actually get a great subscription for yourself for uh, two ninety nine a month. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a wonderful service. <laughs> what else can you do on but PicMonkey? You could, uh, you could actually uh, use some some real great filters for, if you you know, say you want to send a really cool photo to your, uh, your family and your friends. You got some great filters that are there for like zombies for Halloween. You got some Santas for Christmas. Or, can you add like text? To photos, you could ask. You could add a lot of text. To so you photos. can make your own memes. You can make your own memes. It's great. Wow, PicMonkey Pick sounds com. awesome. Yeah. So this is a this episode sponsored by uh, PicMonkey. But in PicMonkey, I love playing with a thing called the exposure, and I wanted to use that <laughs> so bad on that scene because there's like stuff crawling on Roland. And I have no idea what the fuck was yeah, crawling I on didn't, him. Yeah, and like the that scene where there was a scene when Roland was injured and. Um, so he couldn't go help Jake in a it's moment, like a but moment. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with Roland because yeah. it was so dark. Yeah. And in, in that injury is such a big it's deal. Important. Yeah. It's such a big deal. And you have no idea what the hell happened. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I think like maybe, and then I think kind of the last thing to maybe say about the direction is that if there was another place that we kind of struggled with the movie, it was that the pacing felt yeah. a little bit off, even though the movie and well, I guess we can also discuss the length. Um, it was, you know, 88, 90 minutes and the movie was so in, like, I think the way that we described it in a lot of ways was there was no room to breathe. They were really moving along, but that in this case, it wasn't really a great thing because I think sort of the momentum of the action was getting broken up because just as soon as we'd start to become invested in what Roland and Jake were doing, we'd hop back to another scene of exposition that would really slow things down. And so, um, at the same time there, it, it, like we could very much see there being 20 to 30 more minutes on this movie and we wouldn't complain. I'd say if there's one thing that we all agreed on, including like our friend Clint, who was at the movie who we discussed with that Clint the, Worthington of the Alcohol Hollywood podcast. Yes. And also a writer for consequence of sound. Yeah, definitely. And so, uh, he, we all kind of agreed that there was more room in this movie. Yes. There was space to breathe. Like we wanted a little bit of space to breathe and we wanted to see a little bit more of this world and a little bit more of Roland and Jake's relationship. It wasn't detrimental. It didn't kill the movie, but, and you know, it is nice to get out of a movie after 90 minutes, but at the same time, this was a movie that could have used those extra minutes really well. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I love a lot of 90 minute movies. I yeah. mean, I think we joked at one point on the podcast that, I mean, back to Future is my favorite film and, it definitely, <laughs> you know, it, and you could do that movie in like 90 minutes or so. But for this, when you're creating and setting up so much, 
it just felt like there were a lot of scenes where I was like, no, why'd you leave that? Like, yeah. why can't yeah, you... Just st- as you want to kind of explore the mythology of the gunslinger, it was just... Uh, just take our word for it, then we move on to the next scene. And yeah. I, I would have liked to have seen some of those just uh, moments and encounters open up. Because even, you know, when Flag was in it, I don't think there was a scene, you know, maybe barring the climax where Flag was on it for an extended no. period of time. He kind of pop in and pop out. And y- you can't get to the root of his character with those little quips. You really need to hear him talk to understand, like, wow, this guy is sick. Mm-hmm. It, it really felt like you were reading a comic book. Yeah. Like when, you know, they only use, like, four panels Nuff to describe said. a scene. Nuff said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So any more thoughts on the direction of this movie? Uh, no, I think I think that's that pretty much wraps it up. On I think that. we can pivot to uh, page to screen. Yeah. Um, and we've discussed the script quite a bit, actually, so we're yeah. probably just going to only touch on this a little bit. I think that, um, like we mentioned with uh, our discussion of Idris Elba's performance of Roland, the actor brought a lot of the magic to that role. Um, the script itself felt very perfunctory at times. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Jesus Christ. There's so many things that are just like <laughs> land on people's lap or like right in front of them and be like, oh, wow, look at this. Let's. Well, know. there was some voiceover that I know oh. we all laughed at during one of the fight scenes where they described um, that Roland's guns were forged from Excalibur. Yeah. And we all just kind of laughed because it was like literally like shoved in like sort of in the middle of a fight scene, like just Matthew McConaughey talking like yeah. over it. And, um, which would have been a cool reveal had they, you know, <laughs> no, like Arthurian poster <laughs> on the wall, a sword and a stone, something like that, where it really is like, Oh, and it clicks and the audience discovers it for themselves. But yes. instead it's just here. We're going to tell you what this it is. It was classic Akiva Oscar winner. Goldsman uh, dialogue. It's um, not just Akiva, although we are going to lay a lot of the blame on his lap. I'm pretty much going to say that everything wrong with this movie was Akiva Goldsman. But, but it was written by Jeff Pinkner, Anders mm. Thomas, Jensen, Nicolaj Arcel. So you had like four writers. Anders. Ugh. Uh, well, Anders. Yeah. Is that too the many from workaholics. They wrote this. <laughs> I yeah, know, right. They right. Get a treatment. <laughs> no, literally too many cooks in the kitchen. Too with many this cooks one. in the kitchen, and you could just tell that the the screenplay was. Uh, this is a film that was born out of the editing bay. Yep. Um, I mean, every film is made out of the editing bay, mm-hmm. but you, you really, they just had they scrapbooked this movie big time. Yeah. And they're like, hey, how can we get to point A to point B as soon as possible? Yep. And that kills it. I mean, it, it really kills this movie. Um, when you, I mean, it doesn't kill the movie, but it just really affects this movie. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't really have so much of a chance because yeah, we were talking about the breathing and a lot of it has to do with the screenplay. I mean, it, it's, it's so, it doesn't have a chance. It never gives any of the characters a chance to just live. It lack. it feels clinical. Yes. And so I think that, you know, and this is sort of my problem when I talk about Akiva Goldsman movies is there is such a lack of spontaneity and such a lack of spark yeah. and such a lack of inspiration. It doesn't mean that the movie is bad. The movie functions, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a machine and it works, mm-hmm. but the movie lacks fire. It doesn't um, inspire or excite. There are moments that are great. There's um, sequences that are great, but there, and this is, you know, this is a story, aside from the story itself, which, you know, we credit King with, there is nothing in this movie that I haven't seen before. Yeah. And that's insane when we're talking about the Dark Tower. Yeah. yeah no, that's a good that's point. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's a shame. Yeah. Especially since um, it's not like they had to sit there and go, God, what should we write? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's all there. There's so much However, to work there with. There were lots of things we had seen before in other King uh, works, yeah. which we can save for later. 
Uh, we're going to get there soon. Um, we're when we almost get to King's near, Dominion. Yeah, we're, we're almost, almost there. there. We're almost there. But um, any other thoughts on the script? I think we... we... I, th- I mean, we pretty much hammered it in the, <laughs> in the background in the beginning a little bit. Yeah, um, that too. I mean... I, I, I wondered, though, if Idris's performance worked because of the lack of script. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's almost like by chance or choice, it ended like up can, with this pretty minimal performance. And you think... Had they really tried to expand that or give them too many monologues, it might not have worked. But yeah, I mean, look, Roland's a really hard character to, yeah. to write for. Um, I would imagine because you don't want to say too much and you don't want to say too little. Um, you got to be Goldilocks about it. You got to be just right. <laughs> and I, I think the problem uh, with the, the screenplay. Yeah, I've always thought of him as a tepid bowl of porridge. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I think, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think like. I don't think uh, the gunslinger is at all any problem with this movie. I, I think it's, it's probably the one thing they did actually get. Yeah. Right. Um, now I'm thinking of like the three bears in the house, but yeah. with the satellite yeah. on their head. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what is it? What is it? Shardik? Uh, Shardik the bear? Shardik the bear. Yeah. I Just love that sequence. Ronald, <laughs> get out of my bed. <laughs> Ronald. Uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about uh, the the other dialogue in the movie. The score. Well, I hate to break it to you, but there's no Hey Jude in this movie. There is no Hey Jude, which was surprising. Yeah, there's a. I can't remember. Was there any like any, any pop songs? No, there or weren't. Oh, and that's such a big part of the Gunslinger story. We we talked about this how it might be hard to get licensing. Mm-hmm. But they oh, reference so why. many movies, so many songs. The Hey Jude playing in the old Western Tavern. Not that's like one of the first things you hear. One of the first things, and it sort of lets you know, okay, I'm in a world that's unfamiliar, but there's still these. Signs of life that I recognize. Yeah, like I'm in a world that's adjacent to the world that I understand. A mid-world, it's, if you will. I will say that I think that they accomplished that uh, through setting rather than music. Yeah. Um, there was a scene when we actually see the uh, kind of bones of an old amusement park, and Roland doesn't know what it is, and he calls them like ancient structures, yeah. which is kind of funny. That was cool. And so... Uh, and then you see like the... Um, the uh, positronics um, uh, fielder yeah. or something like that. Jake's like, that's the Harry Potter ride, Roland. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and then they had an advertisement that you can go to uh, the Harry Potter <laughs> ride at uh, Orlando. But the uh, the music here was Junkie XL, am I right? Yep, Junkie yeah. XL. And, and so, I, I actually really like the score. Yeah, I, me I too. think I think when it when it's effective, when it has like there was some sort of theme mm-hmm. that was there. Uh, it wasn't overstated. Um, it, it, they they kind of just use it very subtly. And there's a scene where they like are practicing on the guns and all, um, and it's used in that se- sequence. There's a scene where um, the more dramatic yeah. sequences. I, I think there's a recurring theme here. Yeah, I think the dramatic stuff is is working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of the dramatic <laughs> stuff works. And again, it's all. The Roland and Jake stuff. Yeah. But um, all the Roland and Jake stuff had the best score parts. I mean, yeah. all the other stuff was kind of... Eh. Yeah, you've heard it before. Yeah. And it's, you know, I do like, though, I like the original instrumental kind of um, symphonic score. I think that it's the right tone for this movie to a degree. It doesn't stand out necessarily. It's not like we're getting, you know, a Back to the Future theme here. But I will say that it did make me feel like I was in an adventure movie, yeah. um, but also a drama. And it combined those things, I think, pretty well. It was never obtrusive. Um, it reminded me a little bit of... Um, Parts of the Inception score. Yeah. You know, like Hans Zimmer's Time is one of my favorite compositions of all time. And just the swells of that song, 
um, the, the kind of like emotional swells of it. It did recall semblances of that, yeah. Um, because there, were, you know, the, the the scene where they are practicing firing guns, yeah, was that that got to me, and I think a large part of it wasn't just the visuals itself. Was I mean, I think the the score in that was good, yeah. Um, and I had listened to, I had spoken to a few content listeners last week when we shared the that it was actually streaming on Spotify and um, Apple iMusic and stuff like that. But uh, Apple iMusic, Apple Music, <laughs> um, uh, Apple iMusic. Rest in peace, that, iPod. Jesus, how do I get on my Walkman? Um, this Apple iPod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can pick up a cassette of uh, the Dark Tower soundtrack at uh, your local Peaches. Um, <laughs> peaches. Buy it from my Bliggity blog. I'll yeah. get it. I'll, get, I'll go get the uh, Dark Tower video game for PS One at Babbage's also. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I thought that uh, I thought the score was effective. I you know Junkie XL is great. I mean he did you know Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did Deadpool uh, as well. Deadpool. Yeah, I think he's I, I, you know I think he's he did a good job. Here, he got yeah. taken off the uh, what was the the Justice League movie? Yeah, he yeah. did. I think Hans Zimmer. Yeah, hopping yeah. back on that. You got to bring Hans in when things get rough. Hey, Hans is great. <laughs> so I've been and speaking of Hans, one of his uh, former students, Ramin Jawadi, the Game of Thrones composer. I've been listening oh, yeah. to that all week and pretty much the last few weeks. Just to kind of get hyped. And I like that he didn't just, uh, you know, kind of chimp that. Like, no. he, it wasn't a huge sweeping movie. There were certain shots of the desert and midworld that were epic. But this wasn't an epic adventure. And the way that Game of Thrones is where it's just so massive. The mm-hmm. drums, the kettle yeah. drums are just kicking in. I thought this was good and it kind of kept with the pace of the movie. It helped move things along in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Whereas other elements of the movie kind of got lost in the speed of that yeah. sort of truncated 90 minutes. I mean, it's quite a feat to be able to score a film like this that is so fast and so, like you were saying, truncated. I can only imagine what the scoring process was like. Yeah, uh, especially since so much of it was edited. Yeah, um, yeah. I bet that he probably had to do a lot of revisions. Oh, I bet. And uh, I'm just really sad that the movie didn't end with uh, "Semi Charm Life" by Third Eye Blind. <laughs> yeah, right. For <laughs> so the next step, and they like walk into a door or something. Uh, any other thoughts on the score? Yeah, I think we can pretty straightforward. Yeah, go listen. Uh, to it. We're gonna go to a, a, probably the most fun part of the show today. Yeah. Uh, it's a segment that we also do in our book episodes, and it's a little segment called King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. You know, this was kind of spoiled. With that stupid trailer. Which I did not watch. I, oh, you didn't watch it? No, because I didn't want to get spoiled. I think you wrote the article about it, though, didn't you? Oh, not no, no, Dom one. did. Dom, yeah, Dom wrote yeah. it. Our film editor, uh, Dominic Suzanne Mayer, had to write up the uh, the trailer that spoiled all the Easter eggs mm-hmm. when it was like a kind of last-minute Hail Mary from Sony to get people out to the theaters uh, for this weekend. But there are a lot of Easter eggs in here, and mm-hmm. a lot of them are obvious, and a lot of them happen really fast as if they are like, you're as if, <laughs> as if like passerbys were at the theater and they're like, you know, oh, Dark Tower, what's that? And they like <laughs> walk into the theater and like when the first 10 minutes you're like, you know, Christine, Cujo, Shining, the Cujo stay, one, the stay Cujo. for this movie. Points. Like, so yeah. let's, let's break Points. them all down. It was like Sonic the Hedgehog when you have to cl- you know, <laughs> yeah. collect all those rings. Yeah, but <laughs> even, I mean, I think even calling these Easter eggs is a misservice because they're yeah. more like Christmas presents. They're out in the open. It's not something you have to search for. It's not something that, you know, oh, I broke my VHS tape going back to find this mask. That's they're all, it's right there. They're all yeah, placed it, under the tree. Like, yeah. but No, 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 not even placed under the tree. It's like if you had like an, like an alcoholic parent or something yeah. like that. Like, uh, Walked in their and closet they, and, and they like, were unwrapped yeah. and just left on the couch. Yeah. 
like, so let's talk about some of them. Parents are passed out holding the presents. What's the first one you remember seeing? Uh, I think the first one I can remember seeing was, I mean, obviously 19 is the first thing we see. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, there's a scene where they're at the, the, the breakers, um, and the camera almost like zooms in on it, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is kind of funny because when you think about Ron Howard and how he's you know involved in this and how he's been, so, he was so self-referential about those sort of gags on Arrested Development. It's kind of like, I almost wish that he could just narrate this now, like, you know, oh, and there's 19. Um, <laughs> but I, I, 19 is one of the first ones I can remember. There was a shitload it's in the beginning. A shop named like King's Jewelers. Yeah. And then it. we see. St. Bernard randomly. Could, oh, well, yeah. Well, it was like we see the overlook in the psychiatrist's office, which, we had, seen which had already trailer. been spoiled like a couple times. Yeah, and then yeah, the Pennywise. one. Well, yeah, we'll get there. And then, but the one that drove me nuts was Cujo because it was yeah. literally <laughs> just someone walking a Saint Bernard for two seconds. So the rest of the movie, I kept being like, "Gee, I hope Cujo comes and saves them." At that would have been awesome, though. I would have loved a CGI Cujo, just you know, <laughs> all rabid. Oh, we'll God. say one of the ones that was a little more subtle was um, when Roland is in the. In our world, yeah, the Keystone Earth, I think it's yeah. called. Um, there's a commercial, and in the commercial, there's talking raccoons, and he sort of offhand is like, "Oh, animals still talk here." Yeah, and if you've read the series, you know, Oi, the Billy Bumbler, yeah, love that sort of a corgi raccoon hybrid that speaks yeah. basic phrases. I thought that was a good that was reference. Cool. Yeah, that was awesome. That was one of the less glaring, obvious hit you over the head one. Yeah, and one of the funniest moments in the movie. Yeah, for sure. and we saw um, we saw Christine. We it saw, was like a, toy, like a car, toy car, right? which yeah. I didn't mind that much. Like I, Justin was flinching during that one. But here's the thing: like if you've read the books, King throws these like Easter eggs like right at you, yeah, like nonstop. I mean, and uh, when at the old theme park that they walk upon, there is it is Pennywise's circus. Yeah, and, and um, if at one point they walk by a, a movie theater, actually, there's a for New York being so big, they really stayed to one street um <laughs> that you see like a like there's like a spaghetti western marathon that's yeah. on at the, yep. at the movie house um there's the the we had straker, ta- and, straker and barlow was yep. in the background their antique um, store from salem's lot yeah um i'm trying to think of some other ones that they had oh I mean, there was uh oh. the code to get to the village <laughs> through the portal that they were using was 1408 yeah which i thought was a little silly that was silly it's like you won't we only know 1408 because of the movie yeah like the story is good but it's like that's not something people immediately remember no <laughs> well, one thing i wondered i wasn't sure if i was connecting it right but from um what was eleven twenty two. 63. Um, the sort of homeless guy that checks you between time yeah. traveling. Oh, the yellow card. Yeah, the yellow card guy. And I was yeah. looking to see if the card was on it, but there is a homeless guy that sort of recognizes the shine early on. And I don't know if that's just a recurring character in King's novels, but that to me kind of reminded me of that novel. The men with low the, the men, men with low, low wait. hats. Well, got low coats. The men with low yeah. coats, yeah. It kind of makes sense too, because it seems like he might have had some shine. Yeah, well, they, he talks about how I think he was like a kid yeah. um, or something like that. But, I mean, I, I the references are plenty. Yeah. <laughs> the Ted <laughs> Corporation, that's another one. That there we, is the, the Ted Corporation, which is great because that's the first thing as, that you see. put in as like a production company. That was smart. I like that. I thought that was that was, that was was clever. Um, I'm trying to think of some other, maybe some like references to the actual universe in the Dark Tower. Yeah. We, we don't get any from Eddie. We don't get any Eddie in Susan. No, there's no, no. Not even cheeky nods to them. Yeah, no cheeky nods to them. Um, you know, but we did. Yeah, I think that was probably we got some like I, we mentioned earlier. We got some nods to um, uh, 
Roland's old gang, which I thought was really cool, actually. Yeah. But you know, but I think a lot of the oh, we we see all the um the uh, the yeah, ball- not the pink grapefruit, but the crystals. I yeah, like, uh, the ones that Walter has. Yeah, we see those in possession, and that that was nice to see. That yeah. was really cool. And um, so, and then we we were promised lobstrosities in I didn't see them in ourselves uh, Reddit Q and A, and we did not see them. Maybe that monster that we couldn't tell what it was was a lobstrosity, <laughs> yeah. but it looked way too big because I think no way like lobstrosities the- were just they were like the size of lobsters, weren't yeah. they? They were the, the size of a dog. Oh, yeah. okay, like bigger, but not much closer to a lobster than that. Chicka chicka chicka. They, they were. Yeah. I think they were supposed to be on one of the screens. The when they're in the Jurassic Park Command Center. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I. Or, it did or, look like that. Or, didn't or, it? Yeah, I was just imagining like Dennis Nedry, and they're like. <laughs> You have what do you have got? Butterfingers? <laughs> yeah, I'm really underpaid for my role here, or whatever it is. Um, yes, we all have like, our problems with have, money. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, God, thanks, Dad. So, yeah, I think that was, um, I think that's pretty much the breadth of it. But the problem was a lot of them were pretty on the nose and pretty dumb and uh, unnecessary. I mean, like, I get it. Like, they're cute. But we were talking about this earlier. It's, you know, this whole idea of, like, planting Easter eggs and just people noticing them. You know, when they're not worked into the story organically, I mean, there's a difference between, you know, in Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever. Or is it Raiders where it's like you see C-3PO and um, R2-D2 like as hieroglyphics? Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. that to me is an Easter egg because yeah. oh, totally. that's like a very deep thing that you really got to look deep into to really get. This is literally just parading shit in front of us and saying, hey, see this? Don't you feel satisfied that you saw this? It's 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 the whole it's the premise of all of those like epic movie, scary movie, all those movies. It is literally the premise that those were built on and what angered all of us because those movies were literally built on, hey, I get that reference. Yeah, and I think a lot of the listeners probably are, you know, like us immediately go to IMDb trivia for a film. And I've been doing this for a long time. So you see these things that, oh yeah, I didn't notice those hieroglyphics. Mm-hmm. But now when I go back and watch it. Right, that's nice. a joke that and the director's made for a knowing mind, but now to get, I guess, a broader appeal, they mm-hmm. put them in, and it's and then they advertise them. <laughs> yeah, well, the advertising thing is—I've never seen anything like that. Before. No, that was—I really haven't. And again, it, it, like I said, it, it was a total hail, hail mary. They wouldn't have done that if they had some sort of like buzz going into this. I mean, I like the attempt that they actually were trying to connect these worlds because that's a huge oh, portion that of that. I love yeah. it. I wish they just would do just make it, more. it subtle. Like maybe there's like but the red showing car in the Saint background. Bernard is yeah. not connecting worlds. You know, hey, look, if it was like I like seeing Saint Bernards because I like Beethoven the movie. <laughs> You know, I'm a huge fan of Charles Grodin. Um, you know, I'm, we're ant farm people. We're not dog people. No, I um, love Charles Grodin. I love Grodin. And uh, you know what I love about Grodin <laughs> is that he's been, he was he was 50 years old for about 30 years. I and know. now he's like been 80 years old for the last 20 years. He's so, great in uh, Noah Baumbach's uh, While Were You. While oh, were he you? is great in that. I actually really do like him in that movie. Um, but I do love St. Bernard's and I don't mind seeing him, especially if, you know, because I'm a huge fan of the Burmese mountain dog kind. <laughs> and uh, so I, it was cool seeing like, you know, one of these like, cuddly dogs. Um but they linger on it again. It's like they they instructed him to like pause, pause. They have to see it. They might as well just draw a circle around well, this. It show. reminds me of like when you do like gymnastics, and they're like, "All right, well now she has to do that back cartwheel." There's certain moves that you have to do yeah. just for the judges to score, and I feel like that's it's kind of become that way with yes. movies now. And you know, I think with the internet, I don't know if we'll ever escape that. Unfortunately, no. yeah, people love it. I mean, look, one of my problems with Rogue One, which we were discussing on the way to the film was just the fan service of it and just how they needed to see Darth Vader and yeah. you need to see Princess Leia and yeah. you need to see, you know, that all one these commander. little things. Oh, look, it's C-3PO and R2-D2. They're hanging out. And Mon Mothma. And, like, 
but people like that now. And I, I just think there's a discrepancy between like kind of an older generation of fans that grew up with like this pop culture stuff like us and, well, and, and like a, a really, lot of younger generation yeah. that loves it. I mean, I think it's because they grew up with like the, not to date us or whatever, but I think there, it does have to do with like the Reddit culture of being able to mine as much as possible, but you could do it better. Yeah. Like Westworld, I don't even like the show, but they do that fucking good. Yeah. I'm, where you, I'm, you know, I'm very heavy lurker on Reddit. I don't well, know. Game of Thrones. Game, yeah, well, Game you of mentioned Thrones, Game of Thrones. That does it amazing. Yeah. You know, but even, you know, Westworld lost. They would put out a challenge for the hive. Line. Yes. Like you have to figure this puzzle out yeah, and eventually it. you'll get it. But, yeah, I remember really every, is no puzzle. Here. Lost was always fun because like there would be like a book somewhere yes. and people were like, what is this book? Exactly. We will investigate and this book. Right now we're doing that with Twin with Peaks. With Twin Peaks, like yeah. Twin Peaks. Square reading Watership Down, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. Or when they read Ulysses and then they thought the next season was going to be all in one day. Or like, when Jack read Dark Tower. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when this... Let, let, let's let's uh let's go into overall thoughts. Okay, let's because talk I think about we're starting to get thoughts. there. Yeah, um, but you go first. Oh, well, I'll just say that. Well, I, I guess I'm I'm maybe not the best person to go first because I probably like this movie most out of everybody. Yeah, I'm um, closest to you. Yeah, I think, but I was, but I, I'd say that I went in with very low expectations. Very and, very low. <laughs> and let's, let's not forget you've called him Hollywood hack Akiva Goldsman. Yes, and I I despise what Akiva Goldsman does to movies. Um but I will also say that I was not unlike Justin uh <laughs> sending letterboxed reviews of people who saw it last night. Yeah. And I was refusing to read those because I'm like I'm not going to engage. I don't want like to be too polluted going into this movie. Um but I really didn't expect much. I was hoping for at best uh, a movie that was an introduction to the world that was strong enough to give us a sequel and at least some good performances and something that didn't feel totally lazy, yeah. something that wasn't a train wreck. And it wasn't any of that. It wasn't lazy. It wasn't a train wreck. Um, and it was, but the thing was, like I said earlier, I think dark tower was a microcosm of the dark tower world. Yes. Um, so it was retrofitted to fit the Hollywood template but I'd say that the mythology remained intact. Justin yeah. said that Justin was very angry. Well, not angry, but he was just like, there's nowhere else to go from here. And I completely disagree. I agree. I, I mean, think oh, that, I, yeah, I agree with your point. On that. I think yeah. that, um, yeah, there are some important aspects of the book that are sort of rendered, uh, null and void mm-hmm. by the actions in this movie. But at the same time, the rules of this world are so fluid that I think that, uh, we're going to easily be able to rebuild, reconstruct, revive, resurrect, whatever things went the, you know, uh, went to the other world or whatever in this movie. There, the, we can still continue down the path of, of drawing of the three and the wastelands. Those stories can still occur. Um, they're going to occur obviously different, but this to me was a strong enough film uh, it wasn't great. I'd probably, you know, uh, I'm going to give it my my Pennywise clown noses, but I'll just say that I really hope there's a sequel, and I think that this movie has earned a sequel. At the same time, it's not a movie I would ever really want to watch again. So I'll probably give it two and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses. That's great. Ex- excellent description, Thank uh, by the you. way. Um, so to give some context, too, um, I'm a constant reader of Stephen King. I'm a constant reader of George R. R. Martin and Frank Herbert with Dune. Um, so I've learned long ago to sort of appreciate that there's a difference between the film or televised version and the book version. No one can ever hope to capture the books. I think that's you know the cliche. The book was better. But with The Dark Tower, this is a really special series to me. So I went in 
for years I've been waiting and I feel like it just keeps getting snatched away, whether that's the work of the Crimson King, who knows. Um, but I sort of appreciate film for what it can be on its own and I separate it from the books. I was disappointed with this film, but I will continue to watch the series. You know, it's exciting just to see a scene that you've read so many times in your head play out on the silver screen right in front of you. That being said, it was, it felt very hurried. I know they delayed the film by six months. I would have been fine if they delayed it for another two years. I did not need to see this movie in this form that badly. I would have rather they really slowed down, you know, let the scenes develop, let the characters grow, unfurl the mythology slowly. I think that's what's good about the books is you start with really just one character and you don't even understand what his motives are and it gradually starts to expand outward. Whereas with this, we were kind of thrust into this world. There was context given within five minutes. You're limited by the format. Um, There's definitely some things I really like. Idris is one of them. I really thought his performance was strong and I think he, you know, he proved the haters wrong. Yeah. Um, I would say of shiny, bright noses. <laughs> bright, um, bright, bright, shiny noses. No, Sorry. no, no, no. Bright, red, red Pennywise, Pennywise clown, clown noses. Do we have the shiny in there? Yeah, bright. we do have shiny. Don't oh, wait, bright, red, shiny. I think uh, that's. Fuck. I think it's interchangeable. It Fine, I'll give it. Okay, so bright, red, shiny, what shiny? <laughs> I will give it two bright, red, shiny Pennywise noses. <laughs> Clown noses. Clown noses. Clown noses. <laughs> and uh, I'll give it one extra shiny on the side just to see a movie of a book that I've always wanted to see. There you so, go. Yeah. Yeah. The I, shinies. I, I, I echo a lot of sentiments from the two of you. So I, I think I'm, I'm good to go last on this um, in the sense that I, um, look, it's always going to be, any adaptation is always going to be better in your head. Whatever you dream up, whatever you want, whatever your heart so desires is always going to be better than what is on screen. It's very rare that something comes out and you're like, oh my gosh, this is better than what I, what I intimately put together in my mind. And for the Dark Tower series, which, look, I've said it multiple times in this podcast, I'm not a huge, huge fan of the Dark Tower series. I think overall, I'd probably give the series a B. I think there's some major problems with it. I think that, you know, I think even if you want to talk about this movie being rushed, the series itself was rushed. I mean, King knocked out those novels, those last three novels, really fast. And it shows in those books, yeah, especially the last book. And so, I mean, it is second a f- to last book. Second to, well, no, even the, th- the last book, The Dark Tower, there's way too much stuff oh, in that one the book. Wind Through the Keyhole. Um, oh, okay. So, but second no, to last book. Yeah, in the course yeah. seven, you're correct. I, I don't count the Wind Through the Keyhole in this because I, I feel it is like a side, it's like a side story. But. Anyway, I, I, my, my thing is, it's a flawed series. So you're inevitably going to get either a flawed movie mm-hmm. or something that was going to improve upon it. This doesn't improve upon it. But I do think that despite all the crazy hurdles that this went through in terms of pre-production, development hell, and just even all the, the back drama that happened with just this production alone... This film managed to be something that you can watch from beginning to end and not feel like you are seeing like a jigsaw puzzle that's been tossed around and thrown on the wall. Mm-hmm. You really don't. Like yeah. you do get a beginning to end movie. Yeah. Which is something you can't say for a lot of films that have suffered these kind of s- similar scenarios like Fantastic Four, yep. which came out in 2015 and was a fucking nightmare. And I remember walking out of that theater knowing exactly when every thing that I had read in headlines 
happen. <laughs> so having said that, I think the, the, the film is as good as it could be given the circumstances. Now, is it a good film? No. Yeah. Is it an okay film? Maybe. I, I think that for me, like all of us have already said, Idris Elba carries this movie. Yep. He, he, and, and for me, that's enough. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of characters and he's a great character. I want to see more of him. I actually liked his interpretation of Roland more than I actually like Roland in the goddamn book mm-hmm. because I liked Eddie Dean. So like I didn't really start liking and, and loving this series until Eddie came around. So, cause I was never, I just never gravitated to Roland. So I felt that Idris was actually an upgrade. So if you want to talk about stuff that actually did better, I think he did better. So for me, that's enough that I want to see this series continue. Um, having said that, I think that there are a lot of problems with pacing what we've been discussing. It's not, it, it, it is a very manic movie. Um, it's, it's aggravating for those very reasons. Um, but what I agree with with Randall is that it is a start of something and it's the seed that can grow. And if it does have the chance to do it, if they are able to do a wizard and glass TV show and they're able to do another sequel with another established director, because obviously they're not going to go with our cell. I don't think for this again. Um, they say, I think in the variety article, they said they have a commitment to him. I hope they don't. Honestly, I don't hate him, but I would love to see another director. I would like to see another screenwriter and another director. (laughs) be able to take this. I keep going anywhere because I, I, I honestly see this as we've been comparing this a lot to, to different franchises, uh, left and right. And I, and I definitely kind of see this as like, this was, it's like, it is like a beginning, like a little, just, just to see that they can kind of, I can't, I just dropped a, uh, it's like I a just, rose seed. It is like a rose that grows yes, up it's through the crack growing. in the concrete. <laughs> and when and it within forget, it are all the secrets of the universe. Love that assist. Look, I just, I know that, I guess for me, it's like, I'm, I, I'm, we're never going to get this opportunity again. No. For the dark tower story no. to be told on film. I want this to happen. Yeah. And even if this sucks, I want the opportunity for it to get better. I don't want this to end. And so I'm, I'm being very forgiving of this movie because I feel like to even sell this movie to people, to sell this movie to Hollywood, the series is like impossible. Mm-hmm. And so if they can somehow pull it off and make more, then I'm excited because I feel like they'll have more freedom then. And that to me is if if whoever makes this can have more freedom, if there's not a committee of screenwriters, if Akiva's not, you know, fucking around with all <laughs> getting his sticky ass fingers all over the scripts, then maybe it could be something interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I kinda liken it to I mean, look at Logan. We yeah. love that movie Logan. The movies before that, that Logan sucked. Exactly. Wolverine, X Men Origins sucked. That yeah. was the franchise I was gonna talk about. It was like, you know, you had really shitty like directors and screenwriters handling this age old franchise and, and they kind of really rushed it and yeah. they, they pushed too many things, but then you got James Mangold involved and yeah. like the Wolverine's not great, but it's good. And then it's the, by the time he was able to kind of hone in that and rein it in, you got Logan. And yeah. I think we can have a similar trajectory for this. Yeah. I think like it's still, because look, the story really hasn't begun yet. No, it, it, it hasn't. It's, it's basically like been this kind of long extended sneak preview of the kind of world that you see. I mean, we, and, and to Justin's point, I agree that there is a lot of mystery that's taken away. Like we see a lot of the stuff, we see a lot of things behind the red curtain, yeah. uh, so to speak. Um, but to your point, we still haven't seen most of Midworld. We, we still haven't really been able to enjoy Midworld because right. it's so fast. And, and honestly, we haven't really been able to see the potential of all the powers of both the heroes and villains. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff to explore here. And if they can give it a chance, I'm all for it. So for my, my final, my final uh, 
score is uh, I'm going to go with a uh, two and a half also. That's right. So, you know. um, there's, yeah, there's, I just like, I think of how cool Blaine will be. Yeah. Like that to me is so exciting to think about. I feel like we just had to crap out this movie to at least prove the concept. And I felt like they at least just enough proved the concept. But on that note, it's time to open the bag of bones. So you guys sent us a bunch of questions over Facebook and we really appreciated it. And we want to answer some of them. Um, some of them may have been answered by what we just discussed, uh, you know, over the last whatever. But if you have skipped all of that because you just want to hear us say your name on the podcast, then um, we will still answer all of them. So um, are you guys ready to start this bag of bones? Let's go through them. All right. Uh, our first question is from Byron Raphael. He says, if you knew nothing about the book series, would it stand on its own as a fun action film? What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't really say action necessarily, no. but yeah, I think it would... I think someone can pop in for 90 minutes and enjoy this having never read a Stephen King book. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, I agree too. The only thing I'd say is that in terms of action, like we said, um, a couple of the signature action scenes are lit so poorly that it really hampers them. The movie's not, doesn't really function great as an action film. Although I'll say that the, I thought the last 15 minutes or so were really strong. I agree. I think it finished pretty well. Yeah. I I think it's self-contained enough that you would know. Although if you've read the books, obviously you're going to have more fun because Mm -hmm. little nods and little reference. Well, I think it depends like if you've read the books too and you're expecting, yeah, that's true. Something then I feel like if you go in sort of not knowing the books, you might have a little more fun. But at the same time, the mythology is I feel like they do a nice job of breaking it down. Yeah. But the first hour might be really hard for people who haven't yeah. read the books. And that's sort of my worry. Um, next question. Andy Dutton. Thanks, Andy. Uh, asked the question. But I know that was why did you say <laughs> <laughs> like right. I was thanking him for the question. Right. Well, cool. He's got three of them. Uh, book related question. Which non-Dark Tower books do you think are essential parts of the Dark Tower canon? He says he's currently reading Hearts in Atlantis, and with the introduction of Ted Brodigan, it is, uh, is it an essential book to flesh out the Dark Tower universe? We'll start with that, and I'd say yes. Mm-hmm. I think the other essential Dark Tower books are the We stand. have them all in that. that yeah, they're that all in our, in our cinematic universe. I mean, you'd have The Stand. The Stand. It, it. It and The Stand, I think, are the two. I read those immediately following finishing book seven then, and that really helped yeah insomnia oh insomnia insomnia so, is very much tied eyes to of it the dragon eyes, eyes of the, the dragon. dragon um i would say i'd say from a buick eight i think that we have that in our cinematic universe yeah i think we're reaching a little with it but at the same time i think that the it does play with the concept of alternative worlds yeah and um i would I, say joyland um no are you joking. serious no, I, I thought you were serious for a second no 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 um, I, I, you could even put 11 yeah. On writing, <laughs> dance macabre. Dance macabre. Um, um, what else is on there? I swear. Oh, Salem's Lot. Obviously. Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot sure. is the That's number Salem. one. Especially, <laughs> especially later in the series, it's great to read Salem's Lot following it because it's there's so. I mean. Yeah, literal characters that become major uh, players. players. Yeah. yeah, that's how I did it. I, I mean, I read Wolves of Akala before I read. Uh, you know, Salem's are you Lot. serious? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That like shocked me. Yeah. <laughs> I just like I, know. I was like, wow, interesting. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, those are, I think, the key ones to read. Um, Movie-related question. Which scene from the book series would you want committed to screen faithful to the original text? Um, that's a good question. You mentioned I, Blaine. I, w- I would love that. Yeah, much. I just I want Blaine to play out that whole sequence. Um, I think, God, so much of the stuff in the Wastelands. The, when, when he's with the Thinny having sex while taking peyote. To me, that was one of those yeah. ones. I was like, what oh, the fuck? Yeah. Is I had to reread that section so many times because I yeah. didn't understand what the fuck was but, going on. That's what really kicks off the first psychedelic part of the in the Gunslinger, the original book. Yeah. And to me, that was like, once I got to that part, I was like, I'm Yeah, that's book. really like, cool. Well, they, they, they probably had that scene in this movie, um, and then they cut it for that. <laughs> but uh, If the, we're talking about yeah. scenes from the entire series, uh, spoiler alert for Wizard and Glass, I was always, when I was a kid, I thought that the moment, like when um, the grapefruit, uh, oh yeah. Grapefruit, yeah, yeah, the pink grapefruit. When like Roland and Jonas were the coffin hunter, uh, were like on their horses and they each had a hand on it and they yeah. were circling each other and they had their guns pointed at each other. Like and then they're like screaming at each other. Then Roland like blows his head off. That sequence to me was so thrilling yeah. when I was a kid. And like I just imagined that that would play out so fucking awesome on I, screen. I really, really want to see Ray the Coo stick her fingers in uh, Susan Delgado's <laughs> anus. Um, no, I'm joking. That, that real, was another... Real tight. The male will love you. Oh, yeah. uh, it's so weird. So that, that, that scene, scene is so fucking weird. That's some um, pound cake for, right for there. For me, honestly, like I, I really love, um, and I know that Lost ripped this off, but I love when Eddie's on the plane. And that whole sequence yeah. involving with like the, oh, yeah. the DA agents and stuff is so good. Yeah. Um, that's what really hooked me into the book. And I, I just wanted to see that. And I just think it would be great. Did you have any, Dan, that you wanted to share? Uh, just one more. Um, I actually like when they go, I think it's in Wolves of the Cala. But they talk about how, you know, the gunslingers are these famous fighters, but they're also diplomats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they talk about watching him do the sort of the dance with the crew, you know, the, the villagers. Yeah. And they, the other characters in the Katet start seeing that, like, oh, yeah, he has these other depths to him that we don't always see. And I always thought that stood out as really cool. Yeah, that would be. That is really neat. Um, okay, next question. Sharon Loki Hall asks, have the filmmakers remembered the faces of their fathers? Well, is Ron Howard their father? (laughs) (laughs) Stephen King told Nikolaj Arcel that he remembered the face of his father. So, yeah, um, but he also, Stephen King also thought that uh, Stanley Kubrick didn't remember the face of his father. (laughs) And that's like arguably one of the best Stephen King adaptations. I mean, I I like that she wrote filmmakers because I feel like, um, this movie wasn't necessarily made by Nicolaj Arcel. No, totally, no. I would say that Nick, that uh, Hollywood hack Akiva Goldsman <laughs> will never remember the face of his father. His, the face <laughs> of his father, uh, when he remembers the face of his father, is the face of Satan with horns and dripping blood from his teeth. Ooh, He's a bad, uh, bad boy. Spooky devil. Uh, Dan, what do you think? Uh, no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Jeff Nathan asks, is Akiva Goldsman more or less of a Hollywood hacker? You can only answer that. I wish we would have covered this earlier in the conversation. (laughs) Uh, If you haven't picked it up from this conversation, Akiva Goldsman is more of a Hollywood hack after this movie because he's taken a fucking axe and hacking away at all the things that I love in my life. Um, Daniel Nagoski asks, aside from Easter eggs, are there any actual cameos from other Stephen King works or movies? One of the Easter eggs that we forgot to mention was was uh, Misery's, um, one of the Misery books apparently was supposed to be in there. I didn't see oh, it. Oh, I didn't see it. Um, I know it was one of the, it was part of the trailer oh, reference really? also, but um, yeah, I, whatever. I, I mean, I, if, I, if I'm saying anything, uh, what I respond, and we've mentioned it like twice in the podcast so far, but I really, really liked uh, uh, Walter mentioning 
sort of Roland's old crew, mm-hmm. his father and his mother. And yeah. he I can't remember how he describes his mother, but he does indicate that, spoiler alert, there that he did know her intimately. That whole sequence in the gun shop is probably the most effective man in black sequence. Yeah, absolutely. Movie. 100%. Um, and so I feel like in that moment, like there was an indication that Walter knew Roland's family. And yeah. that points to a larger history that I found really compelling. So, um, yeah. Let's move on to Isaac. Isaac Nelson. I'm going to see it, he says. I'm assuming it will be bad. Um, I don't want to call it bad. I feel bad. Yeah. If it is bad. A, what are the odds of there being a sequel? Um, I'd say 50-50. It 50-50 really, it really depends on box office. I so. think it'll get its box office. The budget's only $60 million. This movie will easily gross, you know, in the next year, international, it's going to be over $60 million. Yeah, I'm hoping. Uh, B, why did they do this to us? <laughs> I don't know. Like, don't you, aren't you happy that they made a Dark Tower movie? Like, don't we want there to be a Dark Tower movie? Yes and no. I, I, I've We've toiled over this question for a long time. Yeah. My, my biggest concern is I don't understand why Hollywood studios feel the need to dump all this money into a huge production. And I mean, granted the $60 million isn't a lot compared to a lot of blockbusters and everything, but still a huge amount of money. And I just don't get why they, they do the one foot in the door, one foot out the door thing when they have a production, like go all in, like believe in your movie for a pound. Like, I mean, that's what the Hollywood, that's what Hollywood should be about. Like you should get behind your fucking movie. Like don't like half ass it, you know? Yeah. It's just, that just pisses me off. I don't know why they do that. I really don't. Uh, see, why did Steven let this happen? Oh, Steven doesn't. <laughs> Dude, Steven doesn't give a fuck. Although this is the first movie that he was like a, an executive producer on, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that so. I didn't know. Um, I think that Steven likes seeing movies made of his, of his books, even when they suck, unless they like really deviate, i.e. Uh, Lawnmower Man or yeah. Children I mean, of let's get me, let's yeah. get real. Let's go the Shining miniseries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want movies from Stephen King, like, go watch no. that and then be like, do you really want more movies that I, Steven's I, in? I love Stephen King, but the amount of artistic hubris is just through the roof. <laughs> and, and to be fair, you know, what's funny is I actually was reading one of the, the big rankings for uh, the Stephen King movies that I think Vulture did. And they pulled out a quote uh, that talked about how King was very hesitant on like the, the Shawshank Redemption and Ugh. thought it was going to be too talky. And it's like, come on, all dude. right. That, it's just, yeah, I don't trust. Uh, you can't trust. We him. love Stephen King, but we do not trust yeah. his film taste. God, no. D, is it bad enough to shut down the planned TV series? I mean, it all depends on box office. Yeah. It all depends on if this thing makes money. Yeah. So um, I guess that's, yeah, that's the only answer we have is we're going to find out probably on, you know, Monday. We'll see yeah. uh, if the articles are all saying this thing is tanking or if it's, it made just enough, you know? And of course it'll probably do pretty good overseas. So I think so. That's yeah. a, that's a good thing uh ryan hake asked do you think they should just wait 25 years try again later as roland said times the thief of memory (laughs) (laughs) um no honestly i mean i think if they made this movie 25 years from now i don't know where this series is going to be in the american canon yeah i mean when baron trump is president (laughs) um maybe we'll be having this on like our playstation 9 our 35 year old (laughs) president Oh, um, God. No, that's I, I I feel like that would tr- be like when we tried to make John Carter and nobody gave a fuck, yeah. you know, it's like nobody's going to care about Dark Tower in 25 no. years. This is it. I know. Well, no, that's not true. People will care. They'll care about the books, but they'll I think care the about film, the books. You know, time yeah. has moved on from this world. I know. I feel like this. That's why I say I feel like this is our chance, you know. Um, Alston Ray Alderman 
asks, what is the song that plays as the lead into your King's Dominion segment? Why isn't it Steely Dan's A19? You know, I, I don't know why it's advance. not because, because Dan, you know, Caffrey who edits the book episodes, um, he loves Steely Dan. He's a huge fan of the Dan. Um, he also likes the Eagles and he loves the Eagles. So <laughs> I actually don't know the song cause I, I don't listen to a lot of the book episodes cause I've only missed one. And the only one I've missed was the Firestart episode. I just don't recall what the song was for Kings Dominion. I don't, I don't remember I, I don't, either. I don't listen to the episodes unless I'm Dan go to this post and respond to that. Um, okay. Lloyd W. Elmore Jr. asks, the only question I have in my mind is, is it savable? I think we addressed it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, I, mean, I think, I think it, it, is. it is. I do. I think yeah. it is. Um, Mark Bannock asks, what was left out that you think could have improved the film? Anything added in that is non-canon or non-essential that hurt the film? Well, there are a lot of scenes that were cut out. And if you read the uh, Art of the Dark Tower book, which I've only half read because on Sunday when I was reading it, I just was like, all right, I got to stop because they're spoiling way too much in there. Um, there, wa- there were a lot of scenes that were taken out. And mm-hmm. I think if you could have added in those scenes and just let the scenes l- linger for at least 20 more seconds yeah. per scene, it's going to be a better movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think there, there was a sequence that was uh, cut out that had a really cool elaborate set involving like a diner in the middle of the in mid world. Oh, like, neat. Roland stops in. There's like a, the longer battle sequence involving Stephen Deshane and Roland and the, the, the fall of Gilead, like that was in there. Um, and they took that out. So I think honestly, like more scenes with the, with the lore and, Maybe also just just the pacing, just let it just kind of just let it like go at its own natural pace. And I think the film would be a lot better. It would have definitely got gotten in the B range, I would imagine. I also um, like I really the the breaker station. Yeah. The Stargate station like that uh, to me was like it, it really it really kind of hurt the world. Yeah. And the portals, too. I yeah. think the the fact that the portals functioned more sci-fi than the actual doors, that to me was something that hurt the film. You know what? The way the door should have been in uh, or should have looked is if you watch Beetlejuice and all the way, oh, you yeah. know, when you watch those, those scenes when they keep running through the doors and like they either fall off into that, that weird world and it's very like kind of lo-fi-ish. But it's cool because it's playing with like camera effects and all. If mm-hmm. it was practical, just make it practical. It's not hard. They've been doing that that stupid cheap effect of kind of creating weird worlds behind doors since like the fucking twenties and thirties with like with movies. Like it's not hard. You don't need these crazy effects. So I think you would have toned down those effects, get a more down to earth like you know Jurassic Park console, and it would have been a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> what you said earlier, it's it's what's on the other side of the door that's interesting, not the door itself. Yes. Yeah. These look like we're walking on a fucking spaceship. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like. Well, that's the thing. If <laughs> when he goes into the Dutch house and he like finds this fucking like huge door, it's like and a computer console. It's a computer console. Like the, what's crazy is that you didn't know which doors, and that does play into a big deal. Yeah. In later sequels, so it's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, Francisco Scartazzi asks, "Is it a standalone movie, or could there be a sequel? Both. 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 It uh, it definitely functions as a standalone movie. Um, we actually stuck around though to the end of the credits to see if there was post credits. There wasn't post credits. There's one scene, little thing, but there. Do we should we say what it Just is? Just say what it is. It We're gonna say spoiler time. alert. Uh, we hear um, Walter's whistle. Yeah, that he kind of uses in the film to indicate that he's uh, he's back for more it ba- mischief. It was basically the ending of Aliens, and you hear like the 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 face hugger run across the. Um, 
the floor. Yeah. So, um, Michael Baranek asks, am I going to have to explain to people my dark tower tattoos are from the books, not the film? You might actually, because the, the way that they, all the icons, they overuse the icons. And in fact, if there was one complaint that I really had about the aesthetics of stuff, it was like, the, the weird graffiti on the walls yeah. seemed to like all be the same. I know. Like the, the, well, that was the thing was like the way, cause we actually see graffiti that says, you know, behold the crimson king. Behold the crimson king and it looks like it was done by like a professional graffiti yeah. artist, which yeah. takes away some of the power. Yeah, of it's it. like in films when they have protest in this, Protest signs, the fonts are too correct. You know, yeah. This doesn't look real. <laughs> no. I feel like the, can, the Crimson King, they could have just had the eye. I think but the Crimson King story. eye is in a lot of scenes, but it still looks like it was done with like professional grade paint. Yeah. And it, it was also like they had one, you know, like uh, whatever they had, uh, the, the sort of like test print or whatever. Yeah. That they just kept copying and pasting. Exactly. Like it would have been cool if they just did it hand by hand and it was a so little bit different. Every so if you time. get the eye of the crimson King, you probably are going to have to explain it to people based on the movie. So, yeah. You know. Uh, Leah Nelson asks, I've been considering getting this as a tattoo <laughs> after seeing this movie. Is this a lame idea? Wait, was there an image attached to this? No, no, it was the, yeah, I think it was. Oh wait, or is she, res- okay. If, if you attached an image, Leah, we don't have it right now. Sorry. We're just going to say that. Uh, no, because the book's, uh, will persevere and if it's from the dark tower and not if it's from the movie exclusively then that might be lame yeah but if it's from the books then no it's not lame yeah. no. you do you don't forget the face of your father you'll yeah be fine. don't forget yeah. the face of your father um scott andrew fitzwater asked does roland leave the horn behind in this incarnation you'll have to watch the movie if yeah. you know yourself <laughs> tune in <laughs> tune in yeah <laughs> Um, Matt Elliott asks, is there enough good in this movie that can be fixed in a sequel? Yes. Yes. I think so. Yes. Matthew Davis asks, if you are currently reading the series, they just started Wastelands, you're in for a treat because Wastelands is awesome. Yes. Uh, Will this movie spoil anything? Mm, Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the whole premise itself is a spoiler. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like anyone who is interested in the Dark Tower because of this film is going to know the ending of the Dark Tower for the most part. Yeah. Um, just the conceit of the film itself is based Well, I don't on- know about the ending of The Dark Tower. I'd say, though, that there are things that are discussed in much later books. Yeah. I mean, we're talking books six and seven. Yeah, there's definitely book six and seven references. With While they're not going to spoil anything major, it will kill some of the buildup. Yeah. yeah. And maybe some of the suspense you might have had. So yeah. I think you might be able to hold off until this one's... Yeah, I mean, this isn't a movie you need to see right now. <laughs> this is the coolest name um, ever. Storm Ross. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great name. I am the storm. The first <laughs> and the last. You're storm of the century, joy. eh? Storm of the century. That's a that's a that's a Stephen King that's TV Dean, movie. That's a Dean Koontz movie. No, no it's not. I know, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um if, is the movie decent on its own if you don't compare it to the books? Um I uh, that's actually of? really hard to answer. Yeah. I'm getting lost in the negative and positive. I know. <laughs> Is it possible to not compare? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if I can answer that. Like, I, I almost wish that we had somebody who hadn't read the books. No, that would have been a good idea. Let's it, scrap well, this and start over. <laughs> Based on the reactions from a lot of the, we went to a screening that had a lot of people from the GoFobo. Uh, oh yeah, folks that were in there that love seeing the free screenings, and, and they seem um, to enjoy it. They seem to enjoy it. I mean, they actually they actually seem to like kind of really have some shocking yeah. revelations <laughs> at some of the things that were happening. And they so. clapped at the end. They did. So so take that for what you will. You know? uh, Jody Lee Stanwood, how many Pennywise red clown noses? Uh, you heard it. And thanks for the clown emoji. And we appreciate you actually taking our bullshit uh, and average, enjoying our bullshit. It averaged out to... I think it was like 2.25. 2.3. Well, I said 2.5, yeah. but it probably well, averaged... 2.3 repeating, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, I think that about wraps it up. That's our review. Uh, Justin wrote his own review that's going to be posted to Consequence of Sound. It might be a little harsher than what we had even. because Probably Justin- a little. He was, he, he, he was very quiet about it, and that's when he usually... Uh, <laughs> That's when you usually knows that he's like yeah, Justin's. I, Justin's probably the harshest critic out of all of us. I, I which is good. Punch an exit sign when we left the theater. <laughs> yeah, push that guy down the stairs. Well, here's a th- I, I, we actually. I thought he was going to be on here, but he 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 actually made the executive decision. Like, hey, I got to write this so we can get it out as soon as possible. Yeah, so yeah. hey, like you're reading a review and listening to us because pretty of cool. The sacrifices from our own. Uh, Roland to Shane, uh, uh, yeah. Justin. Oh, he's our Roland. He's our Roland. That's interesting. We'll have to think about who else we are. I want to be Oi. I want to be um, I want to be Susan Delgado. No, I don't want Rhea sticking her fingers <laughs> up in you. Um, on that note, uh, thanks Dan for being our guest loser today. Thanks, it was guys. it was Hope really come back good. And do it again. Oh, oh most absolutely. definitely. You're always welcome. Yeah. And uh, uh, stay tuned for our next episode, which is going to be on road work. <laughs> Which is kind of a rough one. It's a rough one. Well, I mean, we'll talk about it. But uh, thanks so much, guys. And uh, a most hey, fit. Wait, what? Why don't we do a quote from the movie? Uh, yeah, let's do a quote from the movie. Something that we don't usually say at the end of our shows. Long, Long days, days and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. Thanks, guys. Bye. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot Consequence Podcast Network.